the window had been busted out and our gear, part of our gear had been stolen. Uh, there's nowhere to play up here at all. I'm sitting there kind of by myself, like waiting for my marriage. And, and the mirrors, like they, the mirrors kind of like spin open like 90 degrees, like they kind of rotate open. And all these women in sexy lingerie can come walking out from behind the mirrors. I'm just well, going to throw this out there that it almost sounded like you were kind of the dark side sometimes of the scene. Just when I parted ways with monuments, and so it was a really, really desperate time of my life. At the end of it, our bass player told us, like, he just looked at us and was like, yeah, this is my last show. So, like, basically back to the beast era. Dealing with this alcohol intake. And we're at a Christian festival, and we're supposed to be a Christian band. I was kind of like, man, this, this sucks. This is not a good look. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Dark Side of the Scene. I'm your host, Brandon, alongside my good old buddy, Ed. What's up? <laughs> What's up? Oh, I, uh, we're surviving the time change, right? Yeah. And it's, like, kind of annoying. Only... I uh, saw an excellent show Saturday night, but it decided to snow on me driving from uh, Joliet. So I didn't get home till like four in the morning <laughs> because of that storm. But me and my buddy Corey probably could have died. I don't know, but I don't drive like a crazy person. But regardless, it was worth it. You know, I uh, got to meet one of my, he's like a big influence, a li- influence on me. And I like his playing. He's the guy from Omnium Gatherum and like, it's kind of cool when you meet somebody you like. You don't know how they are. I've met him before a few times. I don't know if he was because didn't want to talk to me or it was just kind of off-putting. I don't know. But uh, I said I wanted a picture with him. And then immediately I just, I knew he was into cars. So I, after he took a picture of him, I showed my car and he just like opened up quick. I feel <laughs> like because he has like, he has a Corvette, older Corvette. It's like green. And he actually ended up with, uh, he told me, during our conversation, he ended up with Alexi Lejo's Monte Carlo. His sister sold it to him. Um, nice. If those people out there don't know who that is, that was a guitarist for Children of Bottom. Bottom. He he died last the year before. Was it last year? Correct. It was. It's been about a year or so ago. Yeah, he ended up with his his personal Monte Carlo, and he's been fixing it up. And it's like, I showed him my car, and he's like. You should let me drive it, you know, in defending it. I'm like, next time you guys come, I'll bring it, you know. <laughs> so that was cool. Like, basically, like, you know, it's not really ranting, but I know I've been told that a lot of artists open up if you talk about something totally different. I mean, we geeked out on gear after the fact, but I didn't like immediately say, what amp and pickups to use, blah, blah, blah. He told me that afterward, but he was like really cool and open about his stuff after I talked to, to him about something totally different. So oh, yeah. that's just something to, you know, for people who are scared to meet your artist, talk to them about something random. And that they seem to be a lot more open about that than just being like, hey, what amps did you use? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I mean if you want to engage in a conversation with them versus just asking a few little things. But I wanted to get to know the guy just a little bit. But I don't mm-hmm. know. That's that's just a positive thing that happened to me. And it was just worth driving like in that snowstorm that happened. So yeah. we played a show with War of Ages years ago, and their guitar player was really, really cool too. 
Anthony and Devin, like they were talking to him like right after they played or whatever. And he was like showing them his gear and telling them what, oh, what he plays with. Like he was just like real cool about it. Mm. And then I forget the band. <laughs> I tried to talk to like one of the guys or whatever. And it, I get it. They just played a show. And it's just like when someone comes up to us, if I play a show and I'm not really thinking right off the bat, I'm trying to get shit off the stage. Yeah. And p- people are like, hey, do you, I, I, I think that's a bad time to try and talk to somebody. Yeah, like when they're chilling out. Like when I put my stuff away, I'll go and like, I'll start about that, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you know, hopefully yeah. strike up the conversation again. Hopefully they're not it's like. like when yeah. people come up, they're like, hey, man, you fucking kill it. They're like, thanks. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, trying to hurry up because other people's got to play. And then I'm afraid that people think I'm an asshole because I'm not like sitting there talking to them and bullshitting around. I was like, but you got to know that you got to get the fuck off the stage. Yeah, yeah. That's something they. You know, the normal people don't know is that you'll get yelled at if you go past your limit. No. <laughs> I get it. But yeah, just little things that are cool about meeting a band you really like. So no. I'm sure there's other stories about other artists that, you know, are pretty off putting. But again, we wanted to start a little positive today. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone that listened to episode one with Bram and his old band, the vocalist got met that one band on their bus and got cussed out about it so there's always those stories too right so it just depends on the person and i guess the mood they're in but for the most part i think it's cool when people you look up to are actually decent not complete douchebags yeah that that means a lot i mean there's i don't know some people could separate the artist with the and the music so sometimes they just still listen to their stuff even after getting burnt burnt out you know yeah yeah well, we've got a guest waiting for us, but before we bring him in, anyone out there listening, it's definitely appreciate it. You guys have been kicking ass. We've been getting the word out. You're getting some little bit of feedback here and there. It's definitely appreciated. And if you want to help us out, keep sharing us around. Recommend us to your friends. Leave us a five-star review. I'll shout you out if you do. And... uh if you've got a story you want to share and you want to come on a future episode, send an email to Brandon at darksideofthescene.com and we will get you scheduled. We've been booked up pretty quickly, a lot faster than I expected. So that's definitely a positive. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be, uh, I don't know the exact word to say. It seems to be not so much the appreciated it, but I feel like some people are welcoming this sort of place to come on and talk like gives them a platform to speak about stuff that they've dealt with. So I think that's engaging for them, I guess. Well, I'm glad they're listening and not thinking we're, you know, the, the intent to trash, you know, any, any quote scene, we just wanted to hear just the messed up stories and have a good hearty laugh and hopefully be an eye open experience for most people that aren't in bands, you know, yeah. I keep repeating, I'm repeating myself, but that was the whole goal. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't here to destroy the scene or start crap or anything like that. It's here just to hear the stories and maybe open some eyes for people that's not so sure about what goes on. Yeah. But with all that said, I think we're going to invite this guy in. So hang tight. And we'll be back in a second. I'd like to take this time to welcome our guest tonight, Chris. Chris, thanks for coming out and talking with us. Hey, guys. How's it going? So, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I guess I should have asked, do you go by Chris or 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's friends call me Chris. Um, okay. You know, in print, just because it takes up more space. You know, Christopher <laughs> officially, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, I most most people call me Chris. Okay. Yeah, I usually would have asked before. I just thought about it. <laughs> That's totally cool. So, where are you from? I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana, originally. Nice. And, oh, um, yeah. So, surprise, guys! <laughs> I know oh. that's where you guys are, and and that this is how I came to you guys. Um, seeing your post on a Fort Wayne music page, um, I, I still have a pretty good relationship with some music friends there, uh, where you are, um, and you know, I cut my teeth in music um, with, with a band called Tempest back in the mid to late 80s before moving to New York City, which is where I've been for the past 30 years or so. But I occasionally come back to town and I'll play um, with a couple of guys, uh, Greg Titzer, who you might know, um, and uh, Dan Hogan, a guitarist and drummer, respectively. And, and we do kind of like a deep cuts 80s thing, like replacements and Husker Du um you know do some open mics just for the fun of it otherwise but uh yeah so I'm, I'm still familiar with with the town although i don't really keep current with a lot of bands i mean when i lived there it was mostly you know like you're doing covers just to even get an audience and i i know that things have changed and there's more original music there now but that was my impetus for moving to the city just so i could play original stuff was the uh was that big store still a van back in the day before you left? Wait, say again. Was that big store in Fort Wayne and it's still in a van before you left, or was it? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, the, the big, the big store, right? We're not you know, giving we're, any yeah. official plugs. Yeah, in fact, they're not paying us, I, so I, I'm not messing them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get it. I, I seem to recall recording in his garage. Like I re oh. recorded a couple demos in in his garage um, before. He had the big store. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with him and the name, but it was way before, you know, I would order anything online. Gotcha. Or before it was possible, before online existed. Yep. I actually was up there yesterday to buy a cloud lifter. And for some mm. reason, I had to order it while I was standing in the store and then drive down to the distribution portion and pick it up because they didn't have it in the store. I was like, it's literally, <laughs> this makes zero sense of how I have to do oh, they, this. That's the warehouse they made you drive through. I know that. Yeah. Cause I, I, they should have like a Halloween, like, like hay ride and you know, in October when you go that way, but it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the surprising. That's surprising. They'd make you do that. I mean, there, there's a store, like an audio store here in the city and the thing is, like, they've got, like, salespeople on the floor. You can demo products. And then you basically pay for it after you've decided what you want. And then, or actually, they give you a receipt. You take the receipt to a registry. You pay for it. And there's, like, this whole conveyor belt system. Huh. Like, this little, <laughs> almost like a little monorail train that swims around the store. And somebody, like, in a warehouse is loading up your order. And then it finally lands in a bay, you know, close to the register. And then they pick it out for you. So you don't even have to, like, track it down yourself. Like, it comes right to you. Yeah, this you just drove down to a parking spot, and then you text this number what parking spot you're in, and they bring it out to you. Yeah, that's that seems fairly civilized. Yeah, I just wasn't <laughs> expecting that. I went in there, I was like, man, I drove all the way up here, and they don't have this. So I asked one of the guys, he's like, oh, we got it online. He's like, you want to order it? I was like, um, I mean, I <laughs> drove up here to pick it up. If I wanted to order it, I just stayed home. 
He's like, oh, we you can get Habit today. He's like, it's just in our distribution center. I was like, okay. Still they're confused. Getting, <laughs> you know, they're getting too big for the britches is what's going on. Because, yeah, they're, yeah. Yeah, I, I still have yet to actually make a pilgrimage to the actual location. And I have yeah. friends that work there too, but it's just like I, I've yet to actually make the trip out there. Oh, you'll be surprised. It's huge now. Yeah. Yeah, it's massive. <laughs> I felt like I was at the Ikea of music stores or something. <laughs> right. That's what it feels like. It's like a gigantic iPhone store. It sounds like a dream <laughs> and a nightmare all in one. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yeah, so, um, so out in New York, I imagine it's a lot different than what we're used to back in this area. Yeah, I mean, it, it's home. It's like a love-hate relationship, just like anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it was really daunting as a kid, like really not knowing anyone here to like establish myself or even think about taking the step. Um, but you know, establishing yourself in any new place, especially a place as expensive and uh, you know with the population, like you just feel like you're kind of alone at first. Um, you know, it's tough. And and lately, especially after the beast mm-hmm. entered our lives, um, mm-hmm. you know. It, I, I didn't realize how tiring it can be here and how much, how healthy it is to take a break. And so even though the past few years have been pretty awful in, in, in many regards, um, really there's no reason to stick around in a place where it's impossible to socially distance yourself from anyone. I mean, you just step outside your apartment and you're instantly not socially distanced from anyone, but um, you know, I can spend a lot of time in the mountains of, Western Massachusetts and probably hiked every square inch of Berkshire County in the mountains, which was beautiful. And, you know, you realize like, wow, there's a life outside of this. Like what you think is like the be all end all, Um, you know, but before all this went down, you just the thought of like leaving New York seemed to be as impossible as establishing myself in New York. So it's kind of interesting to, to, think about perspective and like, oh yeah, there, there, there are things outside of this place and there's a whole life, you know, to be had and things to explore. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a different vibe. Yeah, I, and, couldn't, I couldn't live in the big city. It's just like very, you know, daunting. Chicago's daunting and you know, this is New York. So. Yeah. I, you know, them, but yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's just weird. It's like my family's from Chicago and Chicago area. <laughs> and so that was like an option for me as a kid you know but like everybody that i knew that i didn't want to hang out with after high school from high school if they wanted to move to a big city was moving to chicago um and so (laughs) new york seemed to be the spot and also the kind of music that i really wanted to be a part of like the stuff that attracted me to the city like you know lou reed and the ramones and patty smith and new york dolls and all these bands um you know it was a very new york specific thing of course that scene wasn't really the scene anymore when I got here, but you know, it was, it was what attracted me here in the first place. Mm. Um, so you're prim- primarily a rock musician, correct? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I played in dozens of bands over the years. I mean, I, I think if I added up, I mean, the, the irony is the whole reason I got into music and playing in bands is so I could get girls, but truth <laughs> be told, if I added up, you know, like column A, like the bands I've been in and column B, the girls I've been with, I mean, column A would win out hands down. So somewhere along the line, you know, music kind of took over as the interest. 
Mm. Um, you know, and it's possible to do it here. I mean, in, in New York City, the, the advantage is there's an audience for everything, like good and bad. Mm. Um, you know, but you, you can pretty much find your people and do your thing. And um, and, and nobody's going to ask you, you know, like, what's your day job or anything like that, which I always found annoying. Um, yeah. Was well, that when they said don't quit your day job? Or you're just saying, yeah, like probably. Oh. I mean, just you know that sort of thing. But oh. I mean, you know, that's the first, at least from my Midwestern point of view. I mean, that's the first thing people ask, like you know, like when you say oh, I'm a musician, it's like, oh, well, what do you really do for a living? You right, know, that sort of thing. So, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just possible to do it here. So that's mm. that's why I'm here. Yeah. And I think so. it's more possible. I mean, to be fair, it's more possible now for anyone to do it just about anywhere really with the technology that exists but you know since i'm from a another millennium you know i mean at that time it was just there was no other option besides like la you know and i, I didn't mm. want to do that no you didn't want a drug habit you know, i mean there's plenty of that yeah. in new york city <laughs> oh well but uh yeah here <laughs> i am like watching like the, the we have a nor'easter right now so i'm sitting in my corner windows watching the rain come down, which is going to turn to snow all night long. And, Sweet. You know, which, you know, of course, if I moved to LA, I wouldn't have to deal with any of that. But, no, you'll um, probably, probably just have an earthquake or something crazy. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so it's been spitting and rain yeah. and snow all day here, too. March yeah. is holding on for its dear life. Or hey, yeah, winter, winter is holding. Yeah. Yeah. Winter's last sand. It's like, all right. I figured with all the crazy things, weather going on, it's just going to want to hold on and maybe the weather got pushed off anyway that's for another podcast <laughs> um so i guess primarily what has been some not great things about the scene out there that's happened to you or well, well new york not so much i mean honestly it's like it, it's a pretty easy town to navigate i mean the things here, here's some differences so between say like the midwest at mm -hmm. the time that i was playing in the midwest the band had own like our own sound and lighting gear. So we had like a 30 foot box truck and then a van that we toured in plus a small crew. And, you know, we go to say Toledo, Ohio, and we do like a sit down, you know, for a week and we stay in a hotel and, you know, we had to set up all of our own audio gear, all of our own lighting system. It was all very self-contained. And, and that to some degree, I think a lot of bands travel, you know, like, or at least, around the a region in, in the midwest like they they have a lot of their own gear whereas in new york city because a lot of people don't own cars because there's no need to own a car mm. um in fact it would be like hell to have to drive a car every day in the city I mean, it's like having a car to get out of the city is a good idea but i mean there's no need for it in the city but new york's clubs typically have really really good back lines so um usually just bring your instrument you know, drummers bring cymbals, that sort of thing. I mean, they've got a dedicated sound and sometimes separate lighting person and decent lighting equipment and will, you know, accommodate bands with lighting requests, you know, so it's, um, it's just set up for music more than it was, at least when I lived in the Midwest. Yeah, um, for that Chicago's sort of the same. Yeah, Chicago's the same way. They yeah. provide you with these things. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, but the big pain, like when I mean, this is not like a nightmare story. We'll get into like some okay. nuts and bolts of like horrible uh -huh. stories. But but you know, it's like having to drag gear, any gear at all, on the subway can be a pain. So you know, like yeah. I'm mostly known as a bass player. So I've got my bass on my back. It's great. You know, no no big deal. But sometimes I want to bring like an amp head with me, and you know, like a tube 
head is pretty heavy, you know, going up and down subway steps and then walking, you know, 10 blocks to the club. Um, the people give you support- the okay, people give you funny looks when you bring that oh, stuff. No, 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 because it's no. you see it all the time. I mean, oh, okay. the, the people that I really don't envy are like the upright bass players, like the jazz guys. Like you see them on the subway too, and they're, you know, they dragging their upright basses in and out, and, you know, and then with, with with no clearance, you know, in the doorways and up the stairs. But you know, they're used to it. It's what they do, so it's just part of the game. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it, it. I mean, you see everything on the subway. I mean, live. Um, poultry <laughs> probably on their way to be slaughtered somewhere in some oh. you know ethnic neighborhood um you know it's like I, i've seen just about everything on the subway so i mean like the, the yeah nobody's going to give you a look at all like for carrying a musical instrument that's true i've seen gear, enough so. i've seen enough memes of subways to like understand yeah, that's yeah. not the worst thing <laughs> yeah. they're probably all true yeah nice so yeah, I mean, like, so I was listening to like your your first few episodes, and then something that somebody said, or you guys were dishing on like sound guys in general, mm. um, which you know is weird because I was thinking like, when have I ever had that kind of experience with a sound person? And and like I really you know because I'm thinking like, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> and sure. I'm like, I, I I can't think of any particular episode where it was like there was a bad sound person in any regard or any kind of like tiff but this happened recently with a band that that i'm no longer with mm. um so i won't mention the band or who this is but the band leader like we, we this was probably in december this past december um we got up on stage and there, there, there's a band from new orleans and some a couple other touring bands and typically in new york city you're going to put four or five bands on stage in a night so it's a big turnover right so the thing is you want to do your sound check early before you know the audience arrives of course and then chill out for a bit and then you go in the specified order and you want to get your stuff on and off stage as quickly as possible and you know we're used to doing this sort of thing right i mean it's what we do it's respectful and it's mm-hmm. professional so we're on stage doing our sound check and it's sounding good you know um but the guitar player slash band leader decides somehow that like oh i'm just not up to it today or I, I want another pass at this or that and the sound man says okay guys got three minutes for your sound check and the, the guitar, guitar player band leader says like well he starts negotiating like well can't we just have like a couple more songs like can't you just give us more so he proceeds to like basically negotiate with and argue with the sound person for the three minutes we have left and wastes the entire time and then gets kind of put out that like no we're done here you know and then to me like there's nothing worse than being on stage so here i mean it's just sound check there's no audience but i'm standing there on stage in stage light while this guy argues with the sound person and you know it's a reflection on me too and like that kind of stuff is was he always that way before totally not cool uh yeah i mean this is a person that I've known in musical circles for some time. Mm. And I had recently started playing in his band. Um, but it just became more and more apparent like, that, oh, God, like this is tedious and it's unprofessional and not cool. Now, I mean, this I would... band just got signed to like a legit indie label. So it's mm. kind of like surprising in a way. But I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, like I, I wish them well. I mean, I, I, I really like all included, including this guy um but just as a band leader i mean it didn't seem to have the wherewithal or the respect you know and it just kind of 
felt that reflected poorly on all of us. So, I mean, I, I wanted to bring that story up just because I had heard, you know, the, the bad sound person stories and wanted to kind of like tell another side of it uh, from experience. Yeah. I don't, I feel mm. like obviously New York and Chicago have their stuff together as far as sound guys. Cause they probably mm. make pretty decent. So I wouldn't think out there, there would be that kind of thing. At least those kind of stories. I think mm-hmm. around here, there's people that just have gear and they decide they're going to be a sound guy, which that would be like me trying to go out there and run sound just because I have the PA system now doesn't mean I know what the hell I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. And it's like, I've run into people like that here and there in various instances. I mean, I'm also a composer and sound designer for theater. It's a sort of similar sort of vibe, like just because you have the software, you know, doesn't mean that (laughs) you can design a show, you know, I mean, you have to actually, this the software is a tool. That's it. Yeah, I have software to put these podcasts together, and I barely know what I'm doing. I know how to put episodes together, but as far as making them sound better than what they probably can now, I mean, I'm clueless. I don't know how to mix and master, and I just try to make sure nothing. You're not supposed to tell them that you can't make me sound better than this. This is (laughs) terrible, man. I'm going to do a lot of a compression. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just yeah, just press that button. Yeah, that one button that does the thing. The normalizer and the compression button. Yeah, yeah, that's all I do. <laughs> that's the only editing that I do. Yeah, I, I worked. Um, gosh, there's this guy, uh, Jonathan Schwartz, who used to have a national radio show on Sirius XM before he was accused of sexual improprieties. And you know, it was like part of the whole Me Too thing. And oops, I remember him telling me, like, you know, just make me sound like I sound on the radio, you know, and it was just kind of like, oh, good Lord, you're assuming a lot here, but okay. <laughs> you know, let me rich let me velvety. Make, make my voice sound good for those ladies. That's what he wants. Yeah. yeah right, right. So, um, yeah, it can uh-huh. be done. Just tweak this, the sweet spots and, uh, uh-huh. trim out the bad stuff. Hmm. So any, uh, other crazy things that were, that was a good example. Yeah. Actually, I would never expected the, that whole reverse yeah, sound you know, it's guy like, thing. Yeah, I mean, but that's like a you know, it's it's just a mm. peculiarity of bandmates, you know. And I, yeah. I played with so many bands, and like again, like I, I don't want to trash or diss anyone particularly, but since I no. have this opportunity, I don't mind talking about. Sure, it probably least. the wor- maybe like the mo- the more like uncomfortable situations, I guess you know. Yeah, you no, to call out is, everyone. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be cathartic. That's my hope. Yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, another Midwest sort of thing, um, you know. And this, this is okay. So I'm, I'm dating myself. So I, I mean, I know I kind of get a sense of how old you guys are just by having listened to previous podcasts. So like, I'm, I'm about ten years older than you guys. Um, I'm sixty. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm almost in. Uh, almost dead. But uh, when I was in Tempest, and I can mention the name, I think there's still a band, even occasionally. And I had a great experience. I mean, like I, I was 18 when I joined the band and um, you were playing in bars and clubs all over the Midwest. And, and the rest of the guys in the band were like 30. And I felt like, Jesus, these guys are old. But, you know, like this is my this is my ticket, you know, and it, it was it was a great experience. I mean, it was really like trial by fire. Um, and here I'm like going off on a tangent before I even tell the story, but like, I, I'm just thinking of this now, but like, I, I remember when I joined the band, their, their bass player had just left. I was just out of high school and um, they gave me cassette tapes, like board recorded set cassette tapes 
of four hours worth of music like live from the board and like this is what this is what i had to learn their set from and so you know i sat up nights and nights um you know, just figuring these songs out making charts like memorizing them and then of course i'm on the road with them and like we're playing four hours of music a night and you know like i'm a kid you know i didn't have that kind of st- stamina and um certainly not like the calluses built up and so like i would play and play and play and i develop blisters and i'd play the next set and the blisters would pop and then i bleed all over the bass and this went on for like a month until hmm. finally i built the calluses up but i mean that was kind of like that a trial by fire sort of thing and yeah i mean that you know knock on wood the calluses are still still there and won't have to be rebuilt but um anyway so this band um, we're touring uh got to be played in marion indiana <laughs> which i don't even know is on the map yet i mean it certainly wasn't oh. on the map then i don't know why we were playing there we played there once uh, i don't you... remember anything about the gig but go on what you're gonna say I said I lived right by Marion. I lived in a little town called Converse, which is like maybe ten miles from there. I don't live there now, but we did a few years ago. So how, how, okay, I'll tell this story, and you can tell me if it's still like this. But okay. you know, at this time, like you know, it's the eighties. We've got long hair, but it's like totally spray, you know, like hair sprayed up and teased, like we look like Motley Crue or something, mm. or you know, like a new wave version of Motley Crue, worse yet. But, you know, it's like just lots of hair. And so we, we played the gig. We pack up our van and our truck and we're driving out of town, run our way out of Marion and heading back probably to Fort Wayne to sleep in our own beds. And all of a sudden there's like some flashing lights behind us. And sure enough, we get pulled over by the cops. And I mean, it was in my mind. I mean, this is just my recollection. But in my mind, it was like, you know, scene from Flashdance or something where it's like, hey, you boys, like, what are you doing here? We don't allow no dancing here. And, um, you know, it's like, what are you guys doing here? And we're like, we look at each other like, isn't it obvious we're a band? We're a rock band. Oh, well, you know, where are you going? It's like, we're driving back to Fort Wayne. Okay, you know, well, I've got daughters, you know, and, uh, you know, it was that, that sort of thing. Like, they're talking to each other and, you know, kind of eyeing us up and it's like okay we'll make sure you get out of town safely and so they basically what they did is gave us an escort and followed us in two separate cars to the you know the town line i guess which wasn't so <laughs> much a courtesy as it was uh you know like you're not welcome back here again you, at least not tonight you know you should have like, got out like, of yeah, you should have got out of your vehicles and walked back like in Rambo. They, they pulled the <laughs> right. same shit. Yeah, that would, I'm sure that would have been really uh, successful. <laughs> I mean, because but... that was the whole premise that they they kicked him out because he he had a he looked funny because he had long right, hair. Right. Yeah, yeah. but it was but it was like that sort of scene. <laughs> like and it was like for God's sake, it was like the 1980s and not the 1950s. But I mean, it, it, that's the kind of stuff that we dealt with a lot, like traveling around. It's gotten at a that lot, time. I'll be honest. More... It, not that way i mean it's kind of a rundown mm. shithole of a town these days <laughs> i still i still think i mean to be honest i think indiana's still stuck in his ways in the 50s anyway i mean we can't yeah. have marijuana here and yeah hell, we couldn't drink on sundays until like a couple years ago and like what the hell yeah i know it's, it's weird I've, I've got a love-hate relationship with that place too you know I've got <laughs> a lot a lot of good friends you know but right. like typically when i look at the news and indiana's mentioned i'm just like oh god take a breath have a <laughs> have a shot of tequila or something and then you know reluctantly see what it says about my hometown or state 
Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Fort Wayne, I can't diss it entirely. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of good stuff going on there that wasn't there when I was a kid. I mean, like mm. ballpark, you know, the, the, I mean, regardless of whether that team wins or not, it's like really cool going to the ballpark um, and then just parks in general. Like there's actually a river access. And if, if people are listening outside of like um, Northeast Indiana, I mean, like Fort Wayne has three rivers which converge. But when I was a kid, like you weren't really aware of the rivers. You you couldn't really get near them. And now it's like they've got parks right on the river and, and bike trails and jogging paths. And it's, it's really pretty great. Mm. Um, and the whole microbrew scene there is awesome. Um, some really good restaurants now. Like so the, the independent stuff has has come up and of course not replaced franchise sort of stuff but it, it, it's like there's there's more of an entrepreneurial spirit there and it seems like unlike a city like new york that like younger people with with a really good idea and limited assets can actually make something good happen there and I, that's that's really cool to see um in a place like that for me i mean it's satisfying um but it's still in indiana mm. so. i wasn't trying to you said you weren't trying to age yourself but was the fort still there when you lived there yeah, yeah, the old fort was still there. So yeah, I, mean, I, I I left town like like when I say late eighties. I mean I, I left in eighty nine. So I, I okay. moved to New York in eighty nine. Okay. So I mean that still ages me, right? But it, it's um. I was hoping like it'd still be the a, a usable fort back when. You oh, that you're saying that kind of fort? <laughs> like, I'm yeah, joking. Yeah, though. yeah, 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 <laughs> okay, yeah. Sure, we were bombing the British when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> no, and it's funny too. Like I I live in Upper Manhattan, um, which is kind of like it's very elevated so you know if global warming you know my apartment will not be underwater thankfully <laughs> um but but I, I live very close to uh george washington bridge and then there's fort tryon park on one side just above the bridge and on the other side is fort lee new jersey and like these forts basically it's, it's cool to think about i mean the forts aren't there anymore but the parks there's parks there in, in their place but I mean, it's, it's where the British sailed up the Hudson <laughs> and then they got blasted, you know, from on high on both sides. And I just think like, oh, man, like I wish I could just like time travel just for a few minutes just to see that happen. You know, I mean, it, and it actually in the fact that it actually did happen like right here, you know, it's it's, it's kind of cool to think about. But yeah, I mean, like, like the old fort there, I mean, it's definitely a cool thing. And, you know, history, um, history is a good thing. Yep. So um hmm. so how's the let's say how's the uh, recording studios out there and anything crazy about those any crazy stories about that because I always wonder how like it just seems like a more higher class kind of thing going on yeah what I it mean, sounds like I, I recorded probably like the I'd say the classiest studio I recorded in was Jeff Buckley's old studio called Threshold which used to be in Midtown like close to uh Times Square. Um, and that, that was a pretty high-end studio, pretty slick. Um, you know, they warmed it up with touches of like, say, like, you know, Persian carpets and stuff, but it was still pretty, pretty modern and sleek, mm. um, which isn't really my vibe. I mean, I, I prefer more earthy and, you know, inviting and um, low lit sort of spaces. Um, you know, of course, Buckley's gone. And so, I mean, the studio, I, I don't believe is there any longer. I mean, this mm. was maybe 15 years ago that I recorded there, maybe more. Um, but, you know, space is at such a premium here in the city and it's so expensive 
that a lot of the big studios have gone out. I know like Electric Lady is still in the West Village. Um, and the Stones were just there actually recently, like within like this year, um, within 2023, recording a new record. Hmm. Um, so it still attracts big artists. But I mean, like that that's not the kind of place that I can touch, right? I mean, like I, I could never record in a place like that. I'd be hiding in just... a I'd be hiding in a trash can just to <laughs> see like who, who comes <laughs> out, you know? Yeah, that's right, me, right. I, I'm, I'm sure people do, you know, I mean, it, I'm sure it happens, but, uh, mm. but a lot of like the kind of the mid range studios, like they, it's hard to find in New York city. Now there, there's one band that I play with and we actually rehearse in a recording studio and we're recording this guy's fourth record currently. Mm. Um, I don't know if you can hear that. Is that Mike picking up the, the cops? Yeah. It's actually an ambulance. Like, and I've got, I, I know exactly like what the ambulances sound like versus the police cars versus the mm. fire trucks. And mm. it's like, a, and there's even different brands of you know, like EMS. Um, but anyway. got, yeah. <laughs> What's probably, that? Probably a guy that froze to death in one of those trash cans waiting for the mm-hmm. stones to come out. Oh, well. Yeah. Rest yeah. Keith Richards never came out. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so the studio, like, like we actually rehearse in a recording studio and we record there as well um but it's, it's that's super super rare and this is like in a really great location like on 14th street in a basement but the building got sold and like every single tenant in the building is gone so now it's like a vacant place except for the studio um and they're allowing us to stay but it's just like how much longer are they allowing us to stay there i mean that's the question so it's only a matter of time hopefully we can finish this record before they boot us out and you know the outer boroughs, like say Brooklyn, especially in, in Queens, like a lot of studios have moved out there. But like that's a trek. I mean, you've got to take an hour long subway to get anywhere like that. But I, where I record, where I've been recording my solo stuff, um, is up in Cold Spring, New York, and that's just one hour north on the Hudson. Like I just take the Hudson Line or the Metro North train, you know, straight up for one hour, and the, the studio's there. It's in this old converted barn, like really warm, natural space, and mm great acoustics and that's that's kind of my vibe i mean the, the stuff that i'm doing as a solo artist even though i've played like in metal bands and psych bands and art rock and you know singer songwriter and, and like basically any genre of rock probably you can mention um my, my stuff is more power pop slash garage rock mm. and so just having like a natural warm space that you know, if you've got like a really good tube amp for example and a good microphone you're going to capture good sounds and there's not much you have to do in the box right i mean this guy has pro tools and like a whole array of like plugins but i I find that in spaces like that like the space kind of speaks for itself and for the music that i do like that's really conducive to um workflow and it's just nice to get out of the city too i have to admit i mean not having to listen to sirens or you know just just to be in nature um not have distractions um is, is good for me for recording Nope. So, um, yeah, a lot of the stuff's getting pushed out and it, it really is just because of the, you know, the expense of this place. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. So usually, so if you're doing a solo artist, do you, do you take that out on the road or this is just primarily for like, well, like we online? Were talking, we were talking about this before, so we'll mention The Beast. Sure. And um, I will compliment Ed on that excellent song and video because it was oh very cool. God. I mean, it, it was great. <laughs> I, I love the costume changes and, the you know, the 
the that's what happens screen treatment you this know? is what happens when the world acts crazy then i have to act crazy too so yeah, i did that I, at, I did that at home recorded myself and i yeah it's i went out for a little bit had my friend film us but we had to kind of keep you know the six five six foot roll but see that's just random things that happen during the beast era that people get either creative or they're just kind of that's yeah that, that's crushed that's under right. the weight of tyranny yeah, yeah so. no i had I had family die i had friends die like i came back to new york city after 18 yeah. months like out of town my next door neighbors have both passed away probably the best neighbors i ever had you know i mean mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was like alan merrill i don't know if you guys know alan merrill but he was in a mm -hmm. band called the arrows and he he's the guy that wrote um i love rock and roll the, the song that joan jett made oh, popular nice. so i mean like he, he was part of this whole scene that i'm involved in and he he, he passed of covid and so a lot of people you know a lot of things in the city and of course you know when when you're in a smaller city or a small town or a rural area things are different right but i mean this is like maximum population density yep so i mean like we got hit really hard by the beast and um it was a bummer and i, I spent most of that time with my wife and even apart from my wife out of town like you know like i said we went to western massachusetts i spent some time in fort wayne um and i spent a lot of time in the studio and and so despite all the shit that went down during that time and you know, like losing like a hundred percent of my income because everything is audience dependent mm. that I do. Um, you know, I, I had to do something creative. And so what else could I do, but like just write songs. And so, you know, my friend, even though this is going on, like living in this huge barn like space and having the studio there, you know, it was really comfortable to, to stay safely apart um, mm. He played drums. I played all the other instruments on the records. Um, I could crash there for a few days. And so over the course of like a year and a half, like I was able to write, record and release three solo records, which I had never, it never dawned on me to do that. Like that wasn't a thing mm. that was actually in my grand scheme. And and having done it now, I feel like, wow, like, you know, I feel accomplished. I feel proud of it, but it's also um there, there's one guest i don't know if it was bram as well um that you had um speaking about you know like band breakups or maybe it was ed or brandon maybe it was one of you guys talking about this like oh yeah i'm just done with bandmates done with bands like i don't know if i'm gonna do another band who was that <laughs> somebody was talking about mm. this on one of the podcasts but um i said you know, something about it i think yeah so that could be but that, i mean that, that triggered something in my mind it's like yeah you know having been you know we'll, we'll go back to my list of girls and bands like having been in all these bands like they inevitably break up for one reason or another and like somebody's an asshole somebody <laughs> has a job offered somebody has kids somebody gets married somebody moves away um they just uh don't want to do it anymore you know i mean which i always think like i i mean i've had like heroes like like personal rock and roll heroes like over the years just say like nope i'm gonna give it up and, mm. and I, I just don't understand that but the thing is you put or at least in the context of, of what i've done like i put all this work into it and like usually i'm a collaborator i like to co-write songs like to bounce ideas off people that's what i've always been as a collaborator sometimes a side man sometimes a hired gun but you know when i'm collaborating with a band and putting all this blood sweat and tears and work into it you know, to have it inevitably break up for whatever reason, you know, it's it's like, it's painful. It's like breaking up with a, you know, a, a romantic partner or a spouse or something. Mm. You know, it's like a divorce. And, and the part of the fallout is 
but you've you've spent all this time and energy and effort and written these songs and, and you can't necessarily take that body of work with you because they also partially belong to other people yep. um and and so uh, considering that like I'm, I'm really pleased to have like this new body of work for for my solo project because no one can take that away from me it's like I just keep going with it. If, if, if a bandmate can't do a gig, they're replaced, you know, and it's still my stuff. So um, to answer the question, no, like I have, I've not actually put a band together around this yet, mm. primarily due to concerns of the beast, but, you right. know, like having now finally released the third solo record and I've got like really good response. I mean, again, because having the downtime through this whole period, um, yeah. you know, I've been able to do interviews and, um, talk to press, talk to radio, like get international radio airplay. Like I'm, I'm in pretty regular rotation currently on Little Steven's Underground Garage on Sirius XM, which is cool. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I feel like, wow, like this is stuff that I, I never was able to accomplish when I had all these other distractions in life or when you're relying on bandmates, right? It's like the idea right. is like, okay, we're going to divide and conquer. Like you're going to take care of dealing with press. You're going to take care of dealing with booking gigs. You're going to take care of this aspect. And, and I've come to realize like nobody was doing shit, right? <laughs> you know, like I was right. even doing anything because like, like these things didn't happen. And I've been in good bands, you know, but, and had, you know, some successes, but I feel like, wow, like with the success and the response that I had which okay i'm not a big household name um and is that the goal probably not um but i feel like you put the work in and and you get results i mean it's just as simple as that so yep. i'm kind of uh, as shitty as the past few years have been like I'm, I'm pleased with um what i was actually able to accomplish you know and so i, I just want to keep that going so yes eventually I'm going to get the show on the road. Um, I'm going to have a core band and then I'm going to have like regional lineups. Cause I, I do have friends like all over the country and even in Europe, cause I played Jesus like 14 countries in Europe. Um, you know, so the understanding is going to be if like somebody in the core band can't do a gig, I'm still going to say yes to the gig. And then, you know, like have somebody say like I'm playing in Boston, like have a friend in Boston, like fill in on bass, for example. So um, I just want to, yeah, I'm going to keep this going in that way and not have to really rely so much on, you know, the traditional concept of a band. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. So um, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. So basically, like, is that really what, what, what inspired you? Like during the bad times, right? You mm -hmm. went and recorded. Were you thinking of like, about that was your main focus you just wanted to get this done in such a shitty time is like did that inspire you to just keep on working on those three oh, albums yeah, absolutely completely? i mean like it was, it was like the only thing i had going on mm. i mean you know I, i'd spend time in the midwest um, my wife would be in massachusetts and i go visit her i mean like so we were apart and that was stressful and yeah not you know it, i mean i knew eventually this would end i mean i think there's a photo i took which is going to pop up on facebook soon um that i took in my apartment like holding a plant and i think i said something like okay we're gonna go for a few weeks now and we'll be back and <laughs> hopefully the plants will survive and you know like a year and a half later of course i had a friend in the neighborhood who took care of the mail and the plants and most everything survived and um that was great but i i really had no idea it was going to be this long a thing and so yeah. 
you know, I just started with a couple songs and I thought like, oh, these sound great. And then when it became apparent that this, you know, was going to be a longer uh, <laughs> you know, period to tough out and to endure, you know, I just fully committed to just writing songs like wherever I was, if I was in the Midwest or one night in my bed in New York City and before I went up to Massachusetts, for example, I was just writing songs, writing songs, writing songs, you know, by myself, which is like really the first time I've done that. And it, it surprised me. But I think I think part of it was like out of a like survival mode, really. I mean, mm -hmm. that, I think that's where it came from. Um, and and I, I don't know that I would have, I mean, survived, at least not intact so much if, if I hadn't done that. It was really like a saving grace for me, I think. Sounds like it. I mean, like, you know, shout out to your friend that would let you record because a lot of studios, they were not they were not booking in that time oh yeah period. well i mean he, yeah. but the thing is he wasn't booking he's a friend so that was the beauty of it it's right like he, and so, he, li he lives yeah. in the studio and he wasn't doing anything either you know so yeah it, it just kind of made sense and so we, we developed a really like tight relationship with that and he'll be you know, he's definitely like although like I've, I've got a really dear friend from a former band who would be equally as considered as the core band drummer but really because this guy played drums on my records you know, and recorded my records. I mean, it's like, he's got first dibs. I mean, it just can't be any other way than that. Mm. Um, and I, I also played bass in his band, which is really how I, I came to know him. So um, it's kind of like a two-way sort of street there. So like, like really reciprocal and, you know, you find people, I, I think this is like true of any line of work or even friendship you just find people you like and you and you come back to them and involve them and include them and it, you just get a better results whether it's like a amateur softball team or a band mm. you know i just i just think it, it just makes sense to to work with people you actually like and know and trust um so that's what that's about like entirely mm. i feel like because you're a bass player they can't afford to lose you either because <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. we can't find a bass player or drummer there i keep saying like there needs to be there's a, a shortage of those two it, it, you know what it, it surprises me it really surprised me because i've I played bass in 99 percent of the bands i've played in and so with my band i'm going to be playing guitar because it, it's it's actually kind of tough to play bass and sing lead um i think so i'm playing guitar in my band and it's like that that's the hardest piece of the puzzle for me now is finding like a, a bass player that I really like and really trust yeah. and really want to play with, you know, so that that's, that's the tough part. I mean, I've got, I've got some friends out of town, like say up in Albany, New York, which is, you know, it's a good two and a half hours North and mm. like Boston, which again, like that's several hours East. Um, but like locally, at least to start, like it, it's, it's just hard to find. It is hard to find bass players. Um, and and being a bass player, like I don't I don't play with other bass players. That's the other thing. Like I, I mean, you don't have two bass players in the band, obviously. So um, it, it's it feels like starting from square one in a way in that regard. Should be a bass player's uh, uh, I don't know cult where they could just kind of know each other, help <laughs> each other get gigs because yeah. they're hard to find. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I know. Yeah, I, where apparently, are they? apparently in New York, if there's shortage, that's weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's tough. You know, there's a million bands here but like every band has a bass player so right what do you do I'm you know sure. at any given time like too i've played in like three bands at a time you know until something gets really really busy um 
but that's just the way it goes. That's like drummers in this area. And there's like a really good drummer is usually in like four or five bands. It seems like. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I believe it. I mean, it's, 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 it's smart on the drummer's part, you know, um, like the guy, the guy that I play with Dan Hogan, like he, um, he plays in a lot of area bands. I mean, everything from like cover bands to Irish traditional music, like say O'Donnell's downtown there and, mm. um, you know, rock stuff. Like he's, he's kind of, I mean, he's, he's very well versed and knowledgeable about many genres of music and just like a really good go-to drummer. Um, so yeah, like I, 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 I like playing with that guy too. So if I ever come to Fort Wayne to play this project, like likely it'll be, you know, Fort Wayne, guitar player and drummer and i'm sorry rather a fort wayne bass player and drummer and uh and me hmm. Hmm. nice one of your in your initial email you listed a story about when you were on tour in europe i didn't know if that's one of the ones you wanted to talk about oh yeah not. well this is like the she's like i got so many i've got tons but um, so that yeah, would so definitely we... pique my interest. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what song you're going to play at the end of this, but I, I wrote a, actually the first, the title of my first solo record is Suicide Mission, and you know, I mean, the title itself is kind of self-effacing and tongue-in-cheek. It's not about literal suicide. It's just about rock and roll. You know, the the the, the um, very notion of of playing seriously in a touring rock band, you know, as a suicide mission kind of like a fool's errand or something. So yeah. I, I feel like that, I mean, that's why I named it that. And and the song, the, the title track, Suicide Mission, is is about a real life band that I played with. And it's and everything that happens in that song is true. And everything that happens in that song um, was on one particular European tour. Um, you know, I, I mentioned them briefly, but I, I can flesh out a couple of these for you. But okay, and I, I, I'm gonna, this is the first time I've publicly told this. I've told this to friends before. So I've had some rehearsal time i've had like 20 years to rehearse this story um and hopefully i can laugh about it because I, I i swore like it was kind of like um slip my wrists after this really happened um so so we're on tour in europe and um we end up in ghent belgium and i mean beautiful you know european city and belgium's known for a couple different things first of all they're waffles so like you know get some belgian waffles in the town square like we're sitting on a like a bench like eating our waffles and then belgian ale and belgian ale like the lambics like they're really heavy alcohol laden beers usually like with some kind of fruit content in them so they're like really tasty they go down smooth but like they're they're really potent so we're, we're drinking these belgian ales and waffles you know before our gig it's i still remember the sun is out we go to the club um and they have lodging for us at the club. Like, how cool is that? Like, right upstairs of the club, they've got like a little apartment. You know, there's a kitchen, um, and then like a couple rooms. I don't recall there being any beds, but I, like we had sleeping bags with us, so that was like bummer in a way. You know, no beds, but like, do you really want to curl into most random beds when you're on tour? No, not really. Nope. So you know, it's like it was a private space, and we didn't have to go far, right? So that was cool. So we have all of our stuff upstairs at this club. Um, and i remember the the misfits the band of the misfits were there like the week before us mm. and like i don't know anything about these guys personally they're probably really really nice guys but it's like they're just like they're you know their whole shtick and it's like oh man they're kind of scary and like i mean i hope they disinfected this place before we <laughs> arrived you know um, but anyway we, we play our show and 
of course we're plied with more like free belgian ales and we're getting we're feeling pretty good by the end of the set and there are these like and i say this in quotes like college students there and like they take a shine to the band they're like oh hey yo great rock and roll why don't you come out with us to our club and now i'll kind of stop there for a second just so i can put frame this now when i play the states and i've played all over the united states all over canada like people come to the shows and they might be cool they might be a good audience but then they just go home right that that's the last time you see them when you play europe like like they come to the show they buy your merch and then and not in a creepy way in a very genuine cool uh, friendly way they say hey we'd like to take you home and and meaning you like the whole band so it was most of the time you know if, if the club didn't have a room for us to stay in most of the time it would just be somebody random at a gig that would say hey come stay with us and like they would cook us breakfast in the morning and they would show us around their town and so we never really experienced europe as tourists like we got to see like the insiders point of view and like their cool favorite places so anyway uh-huh. You know, so we we meet these, you know, quote, college students who are very friendly and like, oh, you must come to our club. Like, let's go out drinking. And so wisely, two of the guys stay behind. But uh, myself, our lead singer and our tour manager, who I would probably refer to more as the tour damager, um, (laughs) came out with this. And so part part of this song, Suicide Mission, really the suicide, suicide mission, the song is about this guy who was our tour manager, who was kind of like, the biggest liability in the band. Here's the guy that's supposed to be taking care of us. And like, really it was like, Oh, good Lord. Like, is this guy going to get us arrested? Is this guy going to, you know, sabotage us? Is he just going to make things miserable? And so really the song is me blaming this guy for everything that happens. Some of it is, is because of him. And and, and some of it may be unfairly, but like at that point, I, I, I just, it was like, everything was his fault. Like everything is his fault. Um, so anyway, so we, we move on with the story. So we go to this club and it's, a very posh club like kind of looks like the milk bar and a clockwork orange maybe with like like these plush seating um there are mirrors everywhere there's like disco lights all all the mater or the waiters the wait staff they're all dressed up in tuxedos you know here i am in like my you know rock and roll t-shirt and my leather pants and um yeah, with like the, these students going to quote are with us and they're like oh yeah yeah have more have more you know it's on us and so we're just hanging out, getting drunk, and you know, the lights are spinning, the music's throbbing, and then all of a sudden these students aren't there anymore. The people who brought us here just disappeared and we never saw them again. And then after a while, my lead singer and the tour manager disappear. Oh no. And then <laughs> this really weird thing happens. I'm sitting there kind of by myself, like waiting for my bandmates, and and the mirrors like they the mirrors kind of like spin open like 90 degrees like they kind of rotate open and all these women in sexy lingerie can come walking out from behind the mirrors and they like each find like a person or a group of people to be with and so of course i'm targeted too and i pretty soon i've got like this barely clad woman sitting on my knee and um she was a delightful person. Like she was, she <laughs> we had a great conversation actually, but um, she turns out she was from Colombia. So here we are in Ghent, Belgium, speaking English, you know, uh, we, we, I'm speaking English with a woman from Colombia 
um, without any clothes on, basically. And so, you know, the wait staff keeps coming by saying like, oh, more champagne for the lady, more champagne for the lady. I'm like, of course, yes, I'm having a great time. More champagne. And she's like, oh, why don't you come back with me into the back room? And I'm like, what's going to happen in the back room? And it, you're like, oh, well, I can give you a massage and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking like, oh, geez. Like, and, you know, at this time I have a girlfriend. This before I met my current wife. And stupidly, I'm <laughs> like, no, no, I'm going to be with this girlfriend forever. Like, oh, I can't possibly do something like that. And, um, you know, after a very long time of this, and like I said, it was just a really nice conversation. It was all in public. We never went to this back room. But um, finally, like I, I, I've, I've reached my saturation point. And so the waiter comes by and it's like, oh, sign the check, please. And this is this is when the euro was. Good Lord, this is right before the euro. It's right before the euro existed. So every country we went to, I had to translate U.S. dollars into foreign currency like Deutsche Marks or French francs or English uh, pounds, you know. So I get this bill and it's expressed in Belgian francs. And I'm looking at this thing. It says like 35,000 Belgian francs. I'm like, holy shit, that sounds like a lot of money. And I'm like kind of just like like conscious enough to kind of calculate this in my head. I'm like, 35,000 budget frank, that's like 700 bucks. I'm like, shit. And so I, I pick this woman up by her bare cheeks, not, not the cheeks on her face, but I pick her up off my knee by the cheeks and I just like throw her. <laughs> like, and I don't know, I don't see <laughs> where she landed, but I'm like, oh God. And like, and I'm fighting my way. It's, it's like a scene from Blade Runner or something. It's just like smoke and spinning lights and throbbing music. I'm like, ah, and peep bodies. And I'm pushing people out of the way. And I finally get to this door and the door slams behind me and it's like pitch black outside. And you just hear the throbbing music of the club, you know, behind me. And so I don't know where I am. I don't know where the club is. I don't know where we're staying. So I'm walking, you know, past this canal. And every once in a while, I see like this, you know, lit cherry from a cigarette in some darkened doorway. And I'm like, oh, man, like, this is really bad. I'm going to get rolled. I can't pass out. I just have to find where I'm staying. And so after an hour or so of walking around this town, I'd never been in until that morning. Like I hear my name. And it's it's our tour manager. And like the guy literally like waited up all night for me outside on the chance that I would walk by or he'd see me and, and kind of like save my life. So that was all I remember until the next morning. And the next morning I wake up and I am face down on the kitchen floor. I'm still fully dressed. And there's like this huge mastiff and it's like licking my head. I'm like, oh God, like I'm so hungover. And like I have this giant dog like slobbering on me. And I push myself off the floor and I notice like in my hand, I've got this crumpled piece of paper. And what is it? It's it's the receipt that says 35,000 Belgian francs. I'm like, damn. So it, it turned out it was not a dream. It really happened. And so what, what happened really was like I, I, I paid for prostitution without having prostitution, right? I mean, I just like actually talked to this person and, and, and refused to do anything and, and ended up paying for it anyway. So Damn. cautionary I, tale. Yeah, I was I was thinking that's not very rock and roll of you to not take your advan, van, advances, <laughs> right, but right. I sort of see what happened. And this could have gone so many ways when I'm thinking about it. It could have been a mm -hmm. hostile situation because oh yeah, the college kids disappeared and did you say it was their club or they just hang out at that? Well, club? Like, yeah, well, that's how they framed it. Like, oh yeah, this is where we hang out. And I mean, uh... so so really, I mean, okay, of course what happened is they got a cut of that $700. Like, okay, we brought this client here for you to take advantage of. 
And so, you know, we, we, we get a cut of that money. Right. Oh, man. so, but yeah, yeah, I mean, live and learn. So I, I can't say I'm laughing about it, but I can actually tell it. And I think it makes for a decent story. I right. Mean, you but, still, and the pimp didn't come after you. So you still right. can tell it, you know? No. Right, right, right. I mean, Probably you know, it's like I, I, I paid the bill. So, you know, there we go. Uh, but, that, but that was kind of like my budget for the whole tour. And um, I did not, I did not drink for the next two months on tour, like all through <laughs> Europe. I did like, I was, I think I was like still like half drunk, like for two months um, until the last night. I think our, the last gig we played on that tour was Newcastle, England. And I actually had a pint of Newcastle on draft in Newcastle. And that was like a good way to end the tour and mm. kind of forgive myself, I guess, for being a jerk to myself. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, so stuff like that happens I and mean, it's just part of rock and roll life. But I mean, that was a younger version of me and I don't think I'd be that I, dumb or gullible now. I, I would have smacked my manager for not actually <laughs> going back to the club to look well, for me. But yeah, but I, I think they actually did disappear behind the mirrors, if you know what I mean. No, so we didn't so, see him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, uh, right. So... Um, yeah, I mean, live and learn. What's the address of this place? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. When I will never started, find it again. When you first started telling it, and you said the mirrors flung open, I was like, and everyone disappeared. I was like, I wonder if they like spiked his drink with something. He's like hallucinating or some shit. <laughs> uh, no, I, I wish it was hallucination. Uh, but it, yeah, it was, it was a legitimate robbery. I actually did sign the check. <laughs> so I can't accuse anyone. I can't accuse anyone of, of like stealing from me, but it, you know, right. They just, was, you were just too happy drunk that you didn't see. Yeah. That. No, I, I was having a great time. Yeah. You know, here I thought I was doing the right thing. I'm being faithful to my girlfriend. I'm not doing anything stupid now. Am I? Oh, and, uh, yeah. yeah. $700 <laughs> for a lap dance. Stupid <laughs> all around. Oh yeah. It wasn't even a dance. I mean, right. so, which yeah. was cool. I mean, like, and I said, like it, it was like a really warm, friendly, <laughs> conversation like i mean i was really enjoying that aspect of it but i I paid a lot of money for it so i'm glad it was enjoyable sure and you live to tell about it (laughs) yeah you have a story from uh when you're over there so make like you said it does make a good story yeah yeah i mean it's it's like i said there's there's a lot of stuff that happens um i mean that, that, that was like probably the most most notable one but i mean you know, other things on that tour, like, for example, we were driving to a gig um, in northern Italy and we we're going up into Austria and it, it was like a torrent. I mean, it was just like rain coming down. And the other thing is our, our tour van. It looked like an ice cream truck. So <laughs> it was like a little delivery truck. I, I, the words I remember on it. So Leyland, I guess, is the brand of the vehicle. And it had the letters DAF. I don't know what that means. I just called it the Leyland DAF. I have no idea what that means, but I, you know, you Google it and it's like a legitimate sort of like delivery truck or like a, um, like a, like a tiny truck for, it looked like an ice cream truck. And so we're, we're driving this thing. We've got, okay. So in the band, there's four of us, we've got our tour manager from the States and then a road crew of two. So it's, it belongs to the road crew. Um, They're based out of Newcastle, England. Um, and then we took the van over on the North Sea Ferry. Um, so there's seven of us in this tiny little van plus gear. And we're like sputtering, you know, up the Alps. You know, like, I mean, like this isn't like Massachusetts, you know, this is like major, major mountains. I mean, it feels like we're climbing Mount Everest in this thing and it's like barely chugging along, you know. And um, 
it's like poor, like just driving rain. And it looks like entire villages, like off to the side are like being swept away, like by these like raging rivers, like, wow, this is intense. And so we get to the Mont, Mont Blanc tunnel, which is like, it's like something like 30 kilometers long. It's a mm-hmm. tunnel that bores right through this huge mountain. Otherwise you'd have to drive days around it. Like it's that sort of thing. So it's like, it's huge tunnel. And it's the only way we're going to get to the gig. So we get to the, like we're a half a mile from the Mont Blanc tunnel. And there's a sign like close, close, close. So we come to find out like a couple of weeks before, like a, a tanker truck of, of like petroleum like caught fire and like burned like dozens of cars and killed dozens of people. And so the tunnel was closed because of this. And it's like, so it's pretty grim, right? I mean, like, holy shit, like, we're glad we missed that. But like the tunnel's closed, like we can't make the gig. So we missed the gig. I forget where we stayed that night, but we come to find out on the news. Like, in fact, entire villages as we're driving by them are being washed away, like homes, cars, like people are being swept. And I'm not even laughing. It's like, it's not funny, but it, you know, like we're driving through this insane weather, you know, but we had never been in this location before. So we're just thinking like, this is how it is, you know? And in fact, like this is a natural disaster happening all around us then compounded by, you know, a human disaster at, at, at the end of the road, so to speak. Which we're, you know, at that point, we're only halfway to getting to the gig, which they actually rescheduled for us. So it wasn't a total wash, but you know, I mean, unexpected stuff like that happens. That that mountain is haunted now. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I yeah. bet. Um, I've been back since, yeah. and then it, it's it's operational now. I mean, I, uh, I don't know how long it was closed, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely a disastrous sort of thing, and um they were able to 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 fix it but yeah i mean like like it's it's pretty awful i mean like i can't imagine like being stuck in a situation like that i mean you're here in the city like you've got like the lincoln tunnel the holland tunnel the midtown tunnel the other tunnels that you're just like crossing under like a tiny river but even then you know the subways too and it's like (laughs) usually i'm not thinking about it because i'm reading a book on the subway or whatever but like when i do think about like oh i wonder how many feet of water are above me right now right like so deep that cruise ships could pass over me right now and like what would happen if and like (laughs) i really try not to go there you know and sometimes the trains kind of like stall out between stations it's like uh, we're underwater right now this is not my favorite place to be right i don't know how i'd like that i'm kind of claustrophobic yeah i mean i i've I've actually talked down people on the subway i mean i had there's one woman actually um we were we were caught between stations. This is not too long after 9-11. So I mean, like I can't really give her I, I mean a hard time. I wouldn't give her a hard time anyway. But I mean, this woman just became hysterical. And I, you know, I came over to her, told the stranger, and I said, like, hey, listen, and, you know, it's like, are you upset because of the train? She's like, Yes, yes. And so I'm just like, look, we're gonna move, we're gonna move. It's just there's some problem up ahead. It's not us. Like, there's a way to get out of here, we're gonna be okay, you know. But it, it was really like traumatic for this person. You know, I gave her my card and I said, like, look, if I mean it, it was long enough that we were between tunnels that, it, that I was late for where I was going. I said, like, listen, like if, if you need to like bring legal action against the MTA or whatever, like give me a call. Like I was with you, I'm a witness, like nobody should have to endure this, like you know, and feel this way. Um, you know, it happens rarely, like to that extreme. Um, but again, like, you know, it was right after 9-11 and I'm sure she was traumatized by that. And, um, but, you know, like traveling via subway is great. You know, I mean, to me, it's like reading time. 
and um, you don't have to drive, you don't have to pay attention, you just have to make sure you get off at the right stop. Um, but um, it, it's a pretty civilized way to travel, typically, despite all of the subway videos and memes you've likely seen. Are people getting robbed, you know? No, I've never, you know, like, it's <laughs> oh, weird. Like, good. I've never, you know, living your 30 slightly plus years, like, I've never been personally robbed. Like, I, I've, I had a car once and this is this is before I lived in the city. I was I was in college in Albany, New York, and my girlfriend's parents lived on Long Island. So we had to pass through the city to get to her parents. This Christmas Eve, I thought, like, oh, I'd love to get your brother just one more thing. Let's just stop here. And we stopped like in a really safe neighborhood, really populated, people all over the streets. Christmas Eve. I left my luggage in the back seat of the car. We were gone for like 20 minutes and they got back, the windows busted out all my stuff's gone yeah so uh, you know another live and learn moment like don't leave anything in plain view unattended but um but person on a personal level like i've never been assaulted or that's good robbed i mean it happens to people i mean certainly um it's it's just never happened to me so um i'm fortunate in that regard but it's like also like i'm pretty street smart and savvy i like to think and um you were saying like you gave that lady a card earlier. I thought I was thinking you gave her a download card. I don't know why that popped <laughs> in my head. Like, here's this is before I had anything to download. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, sure. This is going to make up for it. Listen to my songs. <laughs> Listen here, to yeah. my EP. <laughs> songs yeah. Underground. Shame, shameless self-promotion. That's your new album, uh, so- song, <laughs> Songs Underground Water. Yeah, there you go. Songs to Drown in Subways by. That's an idea. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, and like I know you guys like told some like some off color like bathroom stories. I forget who they was. Well, with that the, was with mine. the brick. Was, yeah, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, no, that was. Uh, it isn't the greatest story to tell, but it's been <laughs> almost fifteen years now, and no one wants to own up to it. So still, nobody admits it. Still, no, fifteen years going, and no one wants to admit who bears the square. So you know, I I, I immediately admit it's friends. This isn't quite that egregious i think but I, I played it was a gig in brighton england and okay we're talking about backlines and sound guys and gear so here, here's an instance where the sound really worked against me and really made me so angry i did this but um i'm playing in brighton england and it was a club that had like a balcony rail around the stage and we've got a bass amp we've got a bass amp okay great you've got a bass amp so we get to brighton and guess who doesn't have a bass <laughs> the club meaning i don't have a bass amp and so i don't know if, if if you guys having ever played bass in bands like have ever played bass direct through the board yeah right it's just fart sounds and it's like low yeah. farting sounds like you don't even I'm, hear it. there's no punch, i mean this, there's no balls this was it. probably before like direct direct amp pedals right yeah or, or, or at least before i, I mean like i'm for me on bass i'm a plug and play guy it's like i like a nice tube amp Mm. um you know natural you know warmth and a little bit of just a slight amount of breakup yep. and distortion on it but like you know it, to me it's all about the tubes like i never use pedals on bass mm. um i've got a big muff when i played in a metal band i would use it occasionally um but but i really it's like i just like to i just bypass the tuner too because like really once the bass is in tune like it doesn't go out so like i just plug straight into the amp mm. now when i start you know the, with my band playing guitar like i'm i'm I have a friend who's building me pedals and I'm still demoing those out and trying to get my sounds dialed in for each song, but um, I'm like a plug and play sort of guy. So like not fussy, but it's like going direct through the bar and like my only 
you know, the only thing I'm listening to on stage of my bass is like a monitor. Like I'm not even hearing the mains. I'm just hearing this monitor. So yeah, it sounds like farts, like bass farts. <laughs> That's terrible. And so like, I'm just in a really foul mood. I'm like, like hating this. I'm like, this, this sucks. You know, like, the rest yeah. of the band's rocking out, but I'm like, there's no bass. Nobody can hear it. This is terrible. And so I just <laughs> started doing the stupid thing. There's a band that I love, the Muffs. I don't know if you're familiar with the Muffs. Um, <laughs> they're, they're kind of like a very melodic, uh, melodic female-fronted punk band. Um, really super catchy. But the bass player does this thing where he like spits, like like Hoxalugi spits up into the air and then catches it back in his own mouth. So oh, like fuck man. it, like I'm just gonna entertain myself like any <laughs> way that I know how. Like I, I like that like that's horrible. It's crass. It's stupid. But like fuck it, like I'm just gonna do this thing because like I'm angry and like i have to do something to keep myself occupied or entertained <laughs> or whatever so i start doing this and i i'm not i'm not catching anything in my mouth they're not landing on me i'm not seeing where they landed so i had a friend who was at the gig and after the gig he's like man it's like i'm standing there minding my own fucking business watching you guys play and like all of a sudden this big wet fucking hawker lands right on my face like if i could catch that guy right now and i'm like <laughs> oh man uh-huh. and I, I admit it i'm like oh it was me it was me and he's like what you know, and we had a laugh about it, but I mean, yeah. So I, I don't know who else I actually ended up spitting on. I <laughs> actually, that night. I actually got spit on by the guitar player of the metal band Darkest Hour, and I was not real happy about it. No, that doesn't sound. That sounds disgusting. Yeah, you're, I mean, like I, it was disgusting that I spit on my friend. I mean, I yeah, you know, I'd be disgusted too. Because he's from Boston, they just want to spit on you. I don't know. <laughs> They're one of my favorite bands, and they still are. And I went to go see them in Indianapolis, and he's up there just showing off, being like putting on a good show. And he just looks down at us, and he just spits, and I went right uh, in my fucking face. Uh, I was like, "What yeah. the fuck, man? That's like you, that's that's a dickhead move." No, yeah, that's you don't pretty... want your heroes spitting on you. No, that's yeah. kind of gross. That's and he like sticks his tongue out and just keeps on rocking on the guitar. I was like, "Dude, I." That's that's an asshole move. Like I'm not impressed by it. I literally yeah. spit in my face. Yeah, right. <laughs> I keep my fluids on me because I'm already drained from playing. You know, I need to keep all my yeah. No, yeah. I like. I think it was the last time I ever did that. Oh. It was just it was just out of like somebody's probably reviewing that. Like, man, <laughs> the bass player's tone sucked, and he's spitting everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one ever watched that sucked. band again, and it was all his fault. Yeah, but yeah, that that was that was bad. That was that was not a fun gig, and I, I don't know who to blame for that. Of course, I blame the tour manager, because who else would you blame? Same guy. Um, yeah, no, no, this is a different band, actually. No, okay. no I, I, I've, I've toured Europe with a few different bands. No, this is a totally oh. different man. But but I yeah, I still blame him, even though I didn't even know him at the time. Mm. I'll still blame this guy for that. So anyway, we we're talking about bathroom stories. I got off on a tangent. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to make this brief but so anyway like we're we're, we're playing in uh vienna austria beautiful beautiful city and and my girlfriend my then girlfriend who i was faithful to all through this tour comes to to see me in vienna and so the rest of the band goes on to la spezia italy because we've got friends like this band there the manjis who we toured with all over north america and like they're putting us up and we're touring part of our tour with them so they go on like we've got a couple days off so like i stay behind in vienna the only catch is that my girlfriend's mom, who's a corporate travel agent, came with her. Hmm. So, you know, it's it was cool. Like, I mean, God bless her, but you know, like we're we're looking for creative ways to kind of you know have sex. And yeah, I mean, that's a different story for a different time, or maybe no time. But um, <laughs> you know, we 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 got creative, I'll say that, and it was fun. And um that way I didn't have to go off with some stranger or pay for any 
sex, <laughs> even though I paid for it. Um, so anyway, they leave. And now I'm, I'm taking a train from Vienna, Austria, down to, gosh, where is it? Um, uh, where the heck are the canals? Uh, the canals of Venice. So like the train to Venice, Italy, then to Florence, then to Pisa, and then up the coast, like toward Genoa, but not quite there. So it's like dropping all the way down to central Italy, then all the way across Italy, then back up like halfway. So it's, it's like a long overnight trip. And so I'm on this train by myself. It's cool. It's it's kind of like the old movies. It's like a sleeper car sort of situation with the sliding doors. You know, people mm. walk by and it's like a private compartment. Oh, there's another guy sitting across from me, but like he's got one whole bench situation, like several seats. He can make a bet out. I've got several seats. So, you know, we're, we're, we're on the train both fall asleep you know in our respective compartments and all of a sudden like the sliding door bangs open and it's like a guy dressed in like a black beret with a black turtleneck with a black uzi on his back and he starts shouting things in italian i'm like what the fuck's going on <laughs> and, and you know, the other guy's responding so he like he's getting out his passport showing his passport so i do the same okay i'm gonna get my passport out then the guy looks at me he looks at my passport looks at me looks at the passport and he's like oh you know like, hands me a piece of paper and a pen so he's like i guess he wanted me to to sign my name so it matched the signature on the passport so i do it he's satisfied he leaves um and then you know we fall back asleep you know this is like just a little disturbance and then i, I kind of open my eyes and the guy sitting across from me is like leaning toward me like still like on his haunches like sitting across from me but like 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 staring at me and like leaning toward me and i, I jump up like out of sleep i'm like what the fuck's going on here and so we, we reach another station and the italian guard comes back in and um conductor and like they're looking at tickets and this guy they're arguing and apparently what, what, I, what i'm finding and broken you know my my understanding of italian is this guy does not have enough money or there's ticket that won't allow him to go where he wants to go and he doesn't have enough money to get where he wants to go and so here again i'm thinking like oh shit like this guy is gonna like totally rip me off you know like while i'm sleeping so you know like i stayed up for the rest i stayed up all night for the rest of the night we get to Pisa, like these school children getting on the train. You know, that was kind of cool to see, like, like school children taking the train to school from, you know, like one stop or two. And, um, you know, beautiful sunrise and cypress trees and, you know, hillsides. And those are like really beautiful, like we're on the Mediterranean. And finally, I get to the station, La Spezia. Now, my bandmates, I thought, were expecting me. And, and this is right before you could really take a cell phone and like have it work in Europe, you know, like from the United States to Europe. So one person in the band has a cell phone that works if we want to contact the States, but it's not going to do me any good because my phone's not going to work. So I get to the La Spezia station. No one is there to pick me up. I'm just by myself. Mm -hmm. Like they've got my base. So all I have is like my luggage. Like I've just got clothes with me. So I've got one bag. I'm like exhausted, like from, you know, being on this train all night, like without any sleep. And, um, no one's there to pick me up and i'm frantically like trying to figure out like how do i make this call so i find the phone number of one of the guys in the manjis this italian band i'm like okay i'm gonna call them then his wife picks up and and like she doesn't speak any english i i don't speak italian and i'm just like oh chris you know stasiani you know like oh, come down. <laughs> and um she's like oh bye and i'm like oh no like they're totally totally stuck here and so finally you know i'm exhausted i'm 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 upset and I really have to go to the bathroom. So the thing with Italy is this is like lira. So like 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 a thousand lira or like a million lira equal like 10 bucks. I mean, it's like ridiculous. You've got a pocket full of coins and it's like worth 10 cents. You know, it's like, oh, so 
you know, my pockets are rattling with all kinds of foreign currency, but I got my lira in one pocket. So, okay, this is my lira pocket if I need money to make a phone call or whatever, which I just did. And then all I want to do really is just take a crap and then like just sit down in <laughs> private and just like collect my <laughs> sanity. So I get to the toilets and of course they're paid toilets. I'm like, Oh, really? I heard about that. So, you know, like I'm going through my pockets and pumping Lyra into the store. The door finally opens. I'm like, I just want to sit down. The door opens and what is inside of the stall? There is a hole in the floor. Hmm. So there's not even a toilet there. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? So like, not only do I have to like do the deed, like squatting, like holding my luggage, while I'm trying not to fall over. It's like, I can't actually truly sit down and relax and just like have a moment of peace. Now the band finally came, of course, but like, it was just one of those situations where like, uh, come on, like, could it get worse? And yeah, it just kept getting worse. All through it the day, got but, worse. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, within a couple hours I was standing on the, you know, Mediterranean beach and fairly relaxed and over the whole trip. I would have, I would have just held it to the beach and then buried oh, it. But that's me. I didn't know I was going to the beach. Like oh, they, they had to pick me up and take me to the beach. Damn so, it. yeah. So just so, go in the ocean just because you can. Yeah. <laughs> nice. As a kid, they told me to go in the ocean and I, well, I was a Gulf of Mexico, I think. And I never could because I had swim trunks on it for whatever reason. I was like, I can't do that. And then, yeah, <laughs> well. I just, it's just one of those random things that just popped in my memory. They're like, well, you got to pee, just pee in the ocean. I was like, I can't do that. I got swim trunks on. <laughs> Nowadays, I wouldn't even get in the damn ocean. Oh, I love the ocean. But now that you tell me this, like, I don't know if I want to <laughs> go, or, like, at least not with you. No. Yeah. Well, you don't have to worry about it because I couldn't go. <laughs> so uh, I was wondering, you so, said, You've been married with your wife for a while, right? Same one. Correct? Maybe like we got married right before the beast, actually. I mean, we've been together for uh, did, a dozen years or so. So she like, it, you... it was just the sort of thing we just we just never really got around to getting married. And actually, oh. we spent our first anniversary apart because of you know the beast. Oh man. Um yeah. I was just wondering, like, did she always like give you crap about you being like you you know, a touring musician and it's like, oh, you just sleep with a bunch of girls i mean you know like yeah no she's like really interesting. we actually met like in a rock and roll bar like that's how we met um, mm -hmm. but it wasn't to see me play it was just kind of like a like a like a bar where they play music but it was you know, like uh, it was a really cool place it doesn't exist anymore which is unfortunate i mean mm -hmm. she's she's quite a bit younger than me but like we have a lot of musical stuff in common like probably i think david bowie was our first like touchstone it's like okay you like bowie i like this era bowie you like that era bowie but it's still bowie that's cool and you know so it was like she's pretty music savvy but i mean she mm. what i kind of lived through in the 80s she had to go back and discover you know as being like music of a different era <laughs> when she was in high school right. um but it's cool like so we've, we've got a lot i think music in common was our first thing that, that we hit it off and she and she has like you know a really good like a career um, mm. since we've been together before we married, but since we've been since we've been together, she got her master's degree at Columbia. I mean, she's super smart and cool and understanding of my lifestyle. Yeah, that's I what think, I was getting. Yeah, know? getting to like, she's, yeah, I mean, she's it, cool. She's yeah, I'm not ashamed about... to admit. I mean, she she yeah. out earns me certainly. You know, I mean, and it's not like a, it's not a thing. It's just like it's just what it is. Right. Um. And um. Yeah, it's just about mutual respect and making things work now i mean since the beast 
here in our apartment, like she's working from home several days a week. And that's been really difficult for me as a musician because the thing is I can't play music during the day when when she's, you know, doing meetings and stuff online in the apartment. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's a New York City apartment. It's actually like this place is it's pretty big as far as New York City apartments go, but it's still a New York City apartment. It isn't like a giant space with a garage or a basement or any place I can mm-hmm. kind of retreat to. Um, so, so it's tough. It's a challenge in that regard, but it, it's not that the relationship is a challenge. It's just that we have, you know, challenges like that and, and we make it work. And even though we've got, even by New York standards, like a, an unconventional lifestyle, like she, she's very supportive and cool about it. And, mm. um, you know, I, I would say quite honestly, she's not a fan, but that's good. Like, I'm glad, you know, I, I don't want to like be married to my fan, you right. know, like so, it's like she's she's realistic about it, and, and and keeps me real about what I'm doing too, which is good. But um, yeah, I mean, she she's she's supportive, so that, that's good. I, I think even more so, believe it or not, like my mother in law is probably even more supportive of my stuff. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, and so I I kind of lucked out on that. Uh, the mother in law lottery. I know there's like mother in law jokes and all that stuff, but like I mean, she's cool and um, yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's that's good to hear. Like you know, of all because of all your crazy adventures overseas and wherever you know. Yeah, I mean, most just, of those yeah. were done before I got married. Before. But I mean, she knows yeah. that it's my goal to do that again. I mean, with right. with my band, I'm going to be mostly touring regionally to start. So like mostly right. like, focus on the Northeast to begin with, like Boston, Philly, Saratoga, Albany, maybe New Haven, Connecticut, mm. and then maybe do some like Midwestern gigs, like Fort Wayne, Chicago, Indy that kind of thing but i mean the goal really is to get back to europe because I, I i still go there um i haven't been back to play in a number of years so it's like mm-hmm. I, I really want to get back there just with a, like a really good reason other than just to chill out you know yep um because those are just always more satisfying you know when you've got a purpose um you know and you only end up working like like really like only one or two hours a night i mean it isn't like you're working full-time right when you're playing rock music so it's 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 a pretty good way to see the world mm, you don't have true. time to do other things hmm. oh that's a the whole your whole outlook here has been pretty good you know obviously we don't talk about negative things all the time but like see mm-hmm. you took a bad thing and a bad time and you know came out with like three albums when a lot of people would have buckled under the pressure and well, you know, we had a lot of musicians just kind of not do anything because they were just kind of worried about what was going on and you just kind of pulled through. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's one of those, like, it's like a no choice sort of thing, or I guess it was a choice. It was like, either I can do something or I can do nothing. And I just, but thought, you, okay, but you, you chose to, you know, look through, look past it and just do what you needed to do versus just saying, I don't want to play anymore. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, I'm a, I'm a glutton for punishment, you know, like, <laughs> we all are I've, I've, i still have like all these stories like like no like that like a little notebook here with things i was going to talk about but yeah. there's no way we'll get to all of them which is probably a good thing but um <laughs> you know it's like like when i i've been like kind of mulling over in my brain like all the stuff i've had to endure as a musician like and i think like yeah i would willingly do this all again right now 100 percent um and it's true like i like i would you know i look forward to the next weird horrible embarrassing story actually so we all do um, <laughs> uh, very true what you got we got brandon what do you think well, i was gonna ask if there's anything else you really want to touch base on like far as your story said you had a notebook i don't know if there's anything that really stood out to you or oh, i don't know i mean 
you know, it's like I like I talked about. I mean, I, I might have already mentioned this, but you know, like my whole reason, you know, basically the beast allowed me to pursue this solo career. But the but the real push behind it, the real motivator, like like I like the beast allowed me to do it, but it didn't motivate me to do it. The real motivator was just like I said, like having a body of work that's my own that no one can take away from me, mm. you know, when a band breaks up. And so I was just in this other band, like the with the aforementioned, you know, embarrassing sound check story. And, you know, it's like I I, I get booted from this band. Um basically it turned out to be a reciprocal thing. It's like this guy said, like, oh hey, you're in our band. Like I see you getting you know, press and airplay, like, can you share your contacts with me? And like, without hesitation, I'm like, well, of course, you're my friend, you're my bandmate, like, yeah, here's everything I got, here's 500 contacts, and like, here's more tips, and like, here's, and so like, he started getting some success with that too, and then finally, he gets signed to like this really good <laughs> indie label, and so what do I say stupidly, I, I thought, I didn't think it was stupid, but I say like, oh, hey, that's great, we're signed to this label, can you share your contact with me? I wouldn't mind pursuing because the, the, the genres are, you know, not too dissimilar that like I couldn't be on this label with my own stuff. And so like he got really guarded, like, like, no way, man. Like I've worked hard for this. Like, I don't want to fuck this up. And I'm like, excuse me. And it turned wow. out to be like, it, it, it was kind of like a minor blowout. And finally, at the end of the day, it was like, well, you know, like, I, I can't have you in my band because this is a conflict of interest. And I'm like, well, how fucking ironic is that? That, the whole reason that I do my own thing is so that I'm not left with nothing <laughs> when a band wow. folds, you know? So it's like a double-edged sword. Like it, that kind of bit me back, but you know what? It was a bummer, you know, it hurt. I got over it. And the thing is, I still have my own music, you know? So um, good luck to them. Right. And you still got the 500 contacts. So yeah. yeah right and so does he but you know it's cool it's like it doesn't take any it's like yeah but sun. like with, like, the, with that kind of attitude i'm sure he's <laughs> gonna lose a lot of them yeah, yeah i mean that's we'll, a dickhead we'll, thing to do well that, that yeah. that's exactly that's exactly what i told him right the moment before he said i don't want you in my band wow. <laughs> because i did i probably i am sure i used those exact words um but i mean that's the thing it's his band so you know what the hell but, but bass yeah, players it, are hard to find. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll see. That's the problem, I think, when, unless he was like a solo artist, kind of like what you're doing now, mm -hmm. if you helped him write music, aren't you still somewhat part of that process? Or is this all stuff oh, that he had on his own? part of the process. In fact, in fact, the single that this record label released, like, like I'm on it, like I'm playing on it. And so, but yeah, you know, I didn't write the song. So it's not my song. Mm. Um, so I, I get that aspect of it. But it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know and the stuff's pretty complicated i don't know if you know the band xtc but it, but it's in that vein of like bass playing like it's like complex and musical and a lot of layers going on and you know i mean it, it's it's still like in the power pop you know realm but but it's it's just like more musically adventuresome than most so i mean it's like i put in a lot of work on this so mm. it's it still kind of stings but the thing is i mean this this happens all the time so i i can't be you know bitter about it again like you know and i know the focus of this podcast is to talk about all the bad stuff but and it right. does happen you know it happens yes. to me it happened to me recently but you know really at the end of the day it's what you make of it you know i mean that that's that's mm. the thing and you know and I, i've i've harbored resentment I've, I've lashed out i've done stupid things you know i'm, I'm not without 
guilt in in the larger scheme of things but you know you you live and learn and you do this enough it's just like any relationship okay it's like i'm not going to do that again in my next band um you know I, I might be a little more cautious about what i say or how i present things or even like what i share i don't know i, I don't want to be guarded you know that's not a good relationship but um you know this stuff happens I, like what, what's happened to me isn't unique and that's why you guys have this podcast right because um it happens to other people too <laughs> you know all the time yep. so it it, it it is it's just about nurturing relationships maintaining relationships like I, I the last big band that i had um was with the guitar player from the figs and they were like a capital artist you know capital records uh band mm. um and he was one quarter like one quarter of the figs like four guys were the original figs and they've been the band for like 30 years so the guy that i played with had left but this is the sort of thing like i think like why or how didn't i have that kind of thing in my history like because now i'm too old like if i ever have a band that's going to be together for 30 years i'm going to be like <laughs> i don't know rolling like stones it'd be like ancient i'll be ancient rolling stones <laughs> even more ancient wow. those wow. guys are still ambulatory but you know um mm -hmm. That's just, that's just one of those mystifying things like some bands can stay together forever and like they're like teenage like teenage musical friends like they started yeah. a band when they were teenagers and they're still together three of them doing it and like they're so good and like they're not a household name band but they're playing all over the place like still and still mm -hmm. putting out records and um you know so so i have the the opposite of that like i played in dozens of bands and like i put out dozens of records um, but it's just like that body of work, like over the course of 30 years, like it's, it's like so disparate and, and it belongs to, to myself as well as other people. So, you know, now I feel like finally now, you know, at this advanced age, like I, I finally have my own thing and, and, and that's mm -hmm. really satisfying. And I still play with other bands, but, but it's with a more realistic attitude. Like it's like, okay, this is, I play in this band. I contribute what I can, but like at the end of the day, I don't have to worry about the logistics, you know, we're making things happen, you know, for this band. Like I, yeah. I show up and I do my thing and I'm friends, you know, and friendly, you know, but you know, it, it just gives me something to really invest my time and energy into now having my own stuff, yeah. um, which, which just seems a lot more worth it to me. I think so. a lot of people are going that route, to be honest, because a lot of the musicians that I'm friends with, and I don't know if it was Beast Era or what, but they've all been doing their own like solo stuff because they couldn't really do band stuff. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of them now, and this is more of the heavier side of music because that's kind of what Ed and I come from, but I feel like a lot of them are going that route. Like they're just doing their own solo stuff. And like some of the stuff that they're producing is like amazing stuff compared to some of the bands they were in. It's sure. like, it's like yeah. they're they're untapped at this point they don't have any restrictions so yeah exactly because it's, it's like unrestrained or unchecked or, or unsullied by other people's input in a yeah. way that's like, like you can really just kind of like focus on your vision and that's something i never really did like despite like all the years of experience mm. it's something i never really did until recently or never even thought of doing just because i thought like this is the way to do it you know um i, I don't know if you guys do, do you guys know sean browning like he's he's a local guy there you should talk to him too like he's played in tons of bands and does mm. his own solo stuff there he's based out of fort wayne i think do you know the band grave robber yeah 
yeah that, that's his band like so i okay. I, I, I and here i'm like plugging bands that i really don't know mm-hmm. but like I, I shouldn't be doing this but like you owe me one sean browning mm-hmm. um but uh yeah i mean so so he, i know that he's like kind of doing some solo stuff too and i'm sure it's it's based out of like that kind of same necessity um which yeah it's like it's like a swink or sink or swim sort of thing and yeah i, I respect that yeah i feel like you know during our time with the beast like I, we had downtime with the band so I just kind of recorded things on the computer more often. And I probably would have done that prior. I mean, I was slowly getting into it just out of necessity. It's like, well, I'm tired of having to remember everything. And yeah. I go to band practice to try to you know, piece <laughs> it together. So, like, I just started recording stuff. And I got pretty good at it. And, like, not, I'm not a producer by any means. I make decent demos for the band. Because, again, I still wanted that vision to have a band after you know things hopefully picked up you know at the time i wasn't really sure i mean you know all the cancellations and you know people just isolating at home and i'm like well my vision is clear i still want to make music hopefully to play for people and you know now things are and that's like i was saying on our band's facebook you know the song that we made a video for that was a song i wrote during actually become a video a music video i did it's like you have to bleep that out by the way you oh, said, you, you just said the oh, word. Oh, I did say <laughs> market time. The timestamp that timestamp. moment. The beast. <laughs> yes, I don't know why if... it's good. It's good. <laughs> anyway, we're, what was I saying? Uh, so like, it was just great to see like that whole song come out of all that beastie area, and like see it see a video. It was like, wow, like that's cool. I mean, it, we waited so long, you know, band band lineup changes during the beast era because you know people disappeared. Yeah, yeah, no, so, I understand it. Like, I mean, I, I respect people's comfortability level, and I, you know, I, yeah, you know, wouldn't force anyone or disparage anyone for feeling like okay, they they want to be safe, and yeah, for, for right. a while too. It, it took me, it took me a long while to feel comfortable playing gigs again. Like, I've I've done quite a few gigs, like at least since, yeah, like like this past fall, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it, it took me a while to feel really comfortable in a room full of people like that, mm-hmm. um, just because I, I was so unused to it um but yeah it seems like things at least here are still cautious in some ways i mean yeah. you know, like the younger like like kids like like people even younger than you i mean like say the 20s i mean like they, they're like yeah we don't care like <laughs> like we just want to i party still or whatever, i still but... see somewhere mass it shows so it's like it depends on the person i guess so it's yeah, like yeah i'll I see mean, max ma- max ma- masks excuse me mask there you go. Yeah, I mean, here, like, like, quite honestly, like, I, I don't foresee any time when I'm not going to wear one in the subway, for example, because I, I'm not riding in the subway to get noticed or, you know, like, who needs to see my face? Who cares? Like, I just want to read my book and get where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even if I, I just avoid the common cold by doing that, like, I, I'm, I'm winning, you know what I'm saying? I just feel right. like, sure. And, and frankly, too, I've, I've noticed, like, Asian people, like, especially Japanese um people in the subways have been doing this all along like like way before oh yeah this went down you know and it's not unusual people don't look at them like like what are you doing you know i mean it's just it's just what some people have always done yeah i I was getting ready to say that i was like i'm pretty sure it's the japanese culture that on their subways and everything you always see like in videos or whatever they've all got masks on it's like common for them yeah exactly so they're they're even more densely populated you know it's like in tokyo and some other cities than they are in new york you know i mean it's like mm. really high density um 
so yeah, I just feel like if I can mitigate it, if I'm on an airplane, yeah, I'll, I'll wear a mask. I'll, sure, I'll take my mask off to like eat a peanut or whatever snacks they're <laughs> serving. But you know, like I, otherwise, like what what is it? You know, like if, I, if it means that I don't get sick or anything, like sure. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, life life is getting back to something that feels normal now. I uh, um, yeah, I had pre where I worked previously, like we were not ever allowed music at all. Like, so it was kind of like working on our eight to 12 hour day and we weren't, we weren't allowed to listen to music. And I had, ooh. I had, well, see, so yeah, exactly. And then I had a, one of those gator masks that go around your whole neck. You yeah. Just yeah. Roll them up. And like, I started sneaking in these bone conduction uh, nice. headphones yeah. and nobody could tell I had them on. If somebody That's wanted awesome. to talk, like if my boss wanted to talk to me, I like, like scratch my cheek when actually I was pushing pause <laughs> for, to hear her. And then I, I I had told HR about it. I said, "Hey, what, can we wear these?" And it was still, you know, during the mask era. Yeah. And then you know she, the HR approved it, and everybody started wearing nice. them. And then it was like, now it's a it's a staple there. And then the other places that the factory company has, they had them too. So you started a was, revolution. I I did something because <laughs> for the longest time, even before I didn't work there, they banned music. So it was like, that's like one of, I don't know, it's just a really crazy thing that happened so there's one positive all the yeah and so, I, I had to be a rebel and sneak music in but so how do those things sound how, how does the bone conduction um they're pretty good like, sound? like you could talk to somebody while you're talking they're talking to you and if you want nobody to talk to you just put the earplug or see like uh, foam earplugs in that come with makes it way louder now it isn't like super the best sound you ever heard but you actually don't know the difference. You're like, it sounds. Also, does ask like, so it actually sounds like you're hearing it rather than just having your like like the vibrations. Then, like, I mean, sound is vibration anyway. Right? right? Yeah, but you're it, hearing it. It's, it's just... almost like somebody's talking or like music's playing in your head, literally. So that's cool. And they're good for like you know, you live in the city. If you run or do any exercise and you want to listen to music without a car hitting you, that's pretty yeah, much yeah. primary for. Oh, very so, cool. That's my review of them. Pretty good. I have to check them out. Yeah. Heck yeah. Ed's going to get us sponsored here by him. There you go. I totally would. They're, uh, they're yeah, they're, they're, they're not cheap. Well, they're Bone not cheap. Yeah, Aeropex. I got the model. You're listening, uh, Shocks endorsement, please. There you go. <laughs> I got I got a bunch of people bought them for my, for my place of employment. Come on. Anyway. <laughs> uh-huh. HR bought them for, sprung for them, did they? No, they, they just allowed them, but they didn't yeah, that's buy them. No, they. I, th- I think they were offering like cheaper ones for like a birthday gift, but I don't trust those. They only give you guys birthday or a special employee appreciation breakfast every once a year or something, right? <laughs> that's the kind. Yeah. Of, that's what I need. I need a job that has employee appreciation breakfasts. You don't get that say. in rock and roll. No, you don't. As far as I know, uh, so I was gonna say. So you are you also a hired gun as well? Like, I, I I have done stuff like currently, currently no, no um, but but I've, I've played in bands where it's like, okay, I'm here because I'm getting paid. That's the only reason I'm showing up. Um, mm. Currently, I play besides my own stuff in two other people's bands as a band member. But it's but it's with the idea that like, okay, there's a band leader, a primary songwriter. Okay. Um, you know, like I, I, I'm still allowed freedom to write my own parts. It's cool. We're friends. Mm. Um, you know, and like when we play gigs you know, I get paid, right? But it isn't like I get paid 
to rehearse or there's a guarantee sort right. of thing. And that, that's fine. Right. But yeah, I, I've done some of that in the past. Um, and, and mainly the impetus for doing that was when times were lean, you know, like maybe I was playing in one band, but we weren't doing like a heck of a lot, but I just mm. wanted to keep playing music and, you know, just meet people, keep my chops up, you know, stay busy and, and make money. Um, yeah. And so th- th- those have been the times I've resorted to doing for higher stuff now. And when I say resorted, it, isn't, it wasn't like it was painful or anything. I mean, the, the first band that I played for hire with was actually kind of like a bubble gummy pop band, like a female fronted, like mm-hmm. almost like something like Disney would put together, you know, yeah. and, and it was good for what it was. Um, yeah, her producer was a guitar player in the band. I mean, like all really good musicians. And it was fun. Like we, we actually did have fun, but it was like a different crowd, right? Coming to see her. So actually like her target audience was like 14 year old girls. Um and, and like she charted on some like kind of billboard dance chart or something. So that was cool. Like, like my music, you know, like at least my bass playing got out there in that regard. Nice. Um, but, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's, that is not what I want to do. And that's, that's not what I want to be known for either. So, mm. you, you know, it's, you've got to be careful with that sort of thing, I think, or at least I, I feel like I need to be because I, I don't want it to be where that kind of thing becomes my primary musical focus. Right um you know i i I'm, i really moved here to be an original musician like to play original music songwriter or at least a collaborator mm. just turned into more which is great um and then like the for hire stuff has always been just to kind of fill in where i needed to so yeah just currently it's my own stuff plus two other bands um not for hire but you know like more of a player than it being my band, you know, so gotcha. personal, the personal investment isn't like on me, like it is like, say in my solo project. Okay. okay. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Heck yeah. What, what do you got, Brandon? What do you got? <laughs> well, here, I've got questions for you. It's like, like sure. what, what is the worst place you've ever been in a, in a musical context, whether it's like locally, like in Detroit, playing, Detroit, really? Like, okay. So tell me about it. Um, I, we played in this place called Harpo's and like it was in a pretty seedy neighborhood that they had their own security guard, which mm-hmm. made me feel safe. But I feel like if he wasn't there, I'm sure we probably would have got our cars broken. I don't know. Just and it, I, I, but that was like the worst experience. I would say like, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I mean, I haven't had too many like scary places, you know. Honestly. Yeah, the thing if, if you're scared like for your own like like. Safety, that's one thing, but even just right. in the back of your mind, if you're on stage right. playing a show, like thinking like, is my car going to still have tires? When I get well, the, and the stage was like, I don't know, like 10 foot high. So like, yeah. even if they packed the place, you'd be looking down on them. Like, yeah, so that's, if you fell that's... off that stage, that would suck ass. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, no old, stage diving from that. It's an older yeah. building, but like, I haven't been, I haven't been back, back since to even see a, like a regular concert there, but it's still around, Harpo's. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to Detroit Good lord! I mean, maybe early two thousands is the last time I played there. It was wow. more like Ham, like Hamtramck, so it wasn't even like downtown Detroit. But oh no, it's out there. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been a while since I've been around those parts. <laughs> I really don't have anything that stands out as like a horrible experience. Like we didn't do a whole lot <clears throat> of what we what most people would consider touring like we did like the weekend warrior type stuff but say the thing that kind of stands out to me is we went to 
we left on a Friday night and we had to play a show down south. And I believe it was by Bloomington. But I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly the little town. And we were supposed to be playing at this bar. And we did not know at the time when we got there that the bar is also a strip club. And Nice. What's the address? <laughs> well, when we got in there, like this was a very sketchy club. It was not one of the high end ones. We'll just say that much. It wasn't. It was not a gentleman's club. It may have been. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just saying. I was really glad that we got done playing and we could leave. But all the ladies, the nice ladies, will say were. Uh, try to talk to us and want to take photos with us on stage with us. And I was like, this is very weird. Yeah. <laughs> not like I, not like we can post these photos on like, I think it was MySpace era at that point. It's like, it's not like we can really post anything that we've taken with these topless girls up here, <laughs> but it was, a. Uh, and I don't want to sound like an ass, but they weren't the most attractive. So like I said, I don't think we were at the higher end of the, right. Right. You got the B team. <laughs> I think I think we got the F team. Um, oh, ouch. Yeah. Ah. Well, one of the ladies, like she was super nice and everything, but like I yeah, I want to get into that. But we um the next day <laughs> we were supposed to like go Ed wants our number. <laughs> I'm Mary Camp. <laughs> the the next day we we're supposed to play a show somewhere else, and I believe it was down in Seymour area towards it was towards Louisville. But mm. we drive in the middle of BFE and we arrive at this address. And this is obviously before smartphones and GPS stuff. So we're going off like printed map quest directions. And we arrive at like this random barn. And there's no one there. And we're like, is this the right place? Like, what's going on? I'm trying. I didn't. Obviously, again, we didn't have smartphones back then. This is like... Mm-hmm. 06, I think. And I didn't know who to contact, like who, who promoted the show. Like I know who booked us on the show, but like, there's nobody there. We drove around a little bit more. I was like, man, I, this doesn't even look like there's a place to even play show at here. Like what the <laughs> hell's going on? It's like in the middle of February and it's cold outside. There's clearly an opened area out here. That's I'm not playing out in the cold. So we drove around and didn't find anything else. We said, fuck it. And we came back home because what was the point of, I don't know if a show ever happened or not. Like there were supposed to be other bands or no one ever showed up. And I didn't know if we were ever at the right place. And we never did hear anything about it afterwards. I was like, hey, you didn't show up. Mystery was never solved. Yeah. So it's one of those. And this wasn't in a band like one of my previous, this was like an older band that I was in. But yeah, we never... I never heard anything else about it, so I don't know if that was a show that actually ended up happening or we just got punked the whole way and thought we were playing a show. They sent us out to BFE just because see who yeah. was stupid enough to show up to it. Who knows? Mm. But that's yeah. that's about the only horror stories that uh, that that's I can really pretty, think that's of. Pretty bad. I mean, actually, that's like a... yeah, adding to the Detroit show, that was I mentioned another podcast. That was the same show that when we left the city mm. after all that was said and done. We got in a car accident. Well, my friend had hit like, looked like a wheel axle that was like lying in the middle of the road. Yeah. And like, it must, it must came from another accident and it flew all the way out there, but he hit it and I was sleeping and it's just, 
atrocious noise and i thought we were gonna die but he managed to you know veer the vehicle on the side of the road and like we're good but like his whole left tire was all screwed up and he didn't have a spare and so we had to wait for like one of the wives to bring one and didn't get home till 10 a.m so i in retrospect i we probably could have died maybe you know like having one if the truck might have flipped off. i don't know see like you think about it it's like wow I, yeah or depending on your bandmate's response like you know does he swerve too hard or you right know? and like luckily he knew what he was doing but it's you know this that was a crazy night being in detroit for the first time and coming home and almost dying so it was like i would say that would be the scariest thing i've ever been through but aside from that no i've been it's been pretty uneventful in my opinion there might have been a fight somewhere but not we uh <laughs> we were driving up to a show in the middle of a freaking snowstorm <laughs> and it was up north and i don't remember the town but anthony was driving this is when he had his truck brian he named us ever since i know he had a truck named brian <laughs> brian died at a, a meth lab fire the neighbor's house like caught Ouch. on fire and it ended up catching part of his house and his back Ooh, area man. and burn his truck to the ground i was like well rest in peace brian wow fallen homie but uh basically we were driving up there and this was back when we had that trailer the turd fart trailer that we i helped build um <laughs> and i think it's north of 30 so i think we were going to, it might have been to elkhart your stomping grounds oh boy but uh he lost control because of the snow and we start to spin obviously pulling a trailer sketchy anyways and then uh i don't know what like i'm trying to memorize how this happens it's been so long but like i remember he just kind of let go of the wheel and he's just jesus take the wheel uh, <laughs> the last thing you may the, hear the yeah. iron the irony is he looks like jesus so yeah he he, he, he took the wheel <laughs> As long as he had his hands on the wheel, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> we ended up straightening out and kept on going and made it to the show. We played the show, and it was like one of the coldest fucking shows I've ever played because the place we ended up playing in, I don't think, had heat. Ooh. I think Ooh. it was that the front part was a tattoo parlor, I'm pretty sure, and the back had this big open, like, garagey, warehousey looking place. And we played back there, and it was just so cold. Like, everyone, we're. They were playing guitar with gloves on because their fingers were freezing. So they had like their fingertips cut off just so they could hit their notes and everything. But it was awful. Like you could see my breath. There was photos of me. looks like I'm breathing out smoke. I was like, nope, that's just me trying to scream and all my <laughs> frozen breath coming out. <laughs> I played shows like that. I mean, I, it actually, it was in Indianapolis. It was, um, hmm. the club is long gone now, but it used to be like, I believe it was like old Union Station there's a club that was like outdoors above Meridian Street. Um, I think I think the, there was like a railroad track there. So I think the name of the club is Locomotions. Um, but it was like an outdoor club, you know, like sound system, lighting trust, the whole thing. And man, we played one night and I, it was like in the 40s. And it was the same sort of things. Like you're just like your hands like a claw and you're just like, uh, like sucks. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's that's never any fun. I will, I will ask. So since the Beast... Has there been a lot of clubs closing in New York also? Um, Did it take a lot of them away? It, it took a lot of places. Um, mm. Not not clubs exclusively, but I mean, there are some clubs that have gone. Um, you know, I, my, my biggest heartbreak really is the, the fact that my local Irish pub, Coogan's, is gone. And 
like I, I used to live downtown and now I live like in upper Manhattan and Washington Heights. And for me, it was like, I got priced out of downtown. So it was kind of like not a move I wanted to make, but out of necessity, the, the cool thing is moving uptown. Like I have four times the space for half as much money and it's like a pre-war building with tons of character. And, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a really nice building and I, the neighborhood's really grown on me. It's like off the tourist map, which is the best part. Um, but the, the first person I encountered when I moved up to Washington Heights was this guy who happened to be the owner of Coogan's. And he's like, oh, why don't you come see me sometime? I'll buy you a pint. And so, yeah, I ended up going to Coogan's and it was like, it was like the ultimate, you know, even though it was an Irish pub, it was like the ultimate melting pot. It was, you know, black, Dominican, white, you know, upper middle class, mm. you know, I mean, or people like all walks of life, you know, I mean, gay, straight, um, you name it. And this, this, my neighborhood, in fact, I'm looking at it right now. It like has the biggest hospital in the city, like Columbia, you know, Presbyterian hospital. It's a massive, massive hospital. So like, this is like a nurse bar. And also it seems like you can't have a nurse bar without having a cop bar. So lots of like medical professionals and even like cops and police detectives hung out here and it was just it was like literally everyone like drug dealers hung out there like like <laughs> amongst the cops i mean it was like like a melting pot and it, it was really representative of the entire neighborhood it was such a cool spot like you know welcoming um and and then they they didn't survive it they, they've been around since like the early 80s Man. and then yeah it's like that's it was just heartbreaking to come back to that sort of thing you know most of the shock is gone now i mean there's still places that end up closing which may or may not have anything to do with the beast specifically right. um but but like that one happened to me and i, I think the, the real reason they closed is that they had to pay insurance on the place and their argument to their insurance provider was like listen like we know we have to pay insurance, but like we're not allowed to have clientele. There's literally no customer allowed for obvious reasons in our establishment. So we don't need to insure customers during this time. Can you please cut us a break? And you also, because there are no customers, we're not making any money. No. And and I mean, they were paying something like $10,000 a month for insurance and like the, the insurance company wouldn't budge. And I think that's ultimately Jeez. what did them in. Yeah. I mean, it's just like greed based stuff. And I mean, it's like such a bummer. Um, yeah my favorite supermarket i mean that's gone now and, and like it was a short subway right away i mean like they're like local places but really bad selection frankly and <laughs> the produce isn't fresh but like this supermarket like is the best supermarket i've ever been to and it was like the sort of place where they had like a like a cheese shop within they had a bakery within but like high-end stuff you know like an olive bar um you know i know you can go to kroger and get like similar sort of stuff um but you know, like you, there was a cold room so if you wanted meat or fish or anything refrigerated like you would put they had down coats hanging there so if it was summertime you just like you take one <laughs> of the down coats hanging on the hook and you'd walk into the cold room and like everything's just out on the shelf like it didn't have yeah. to be in a refrigerator and it was like it was like a really cool experience and it's just like the selection was massive you know this was like in an industrial sort of neighborhood um in way west harlem like right on the river and um it was just such a, I mean, it was like an experience going shopping and my wife and I would even do the sort of thing where it's like, you know, like we're going to buy our grocery list and we're going to buy one item we've never had before just to try something new. And we'd always do that every week. It was like something new. We would just try because I had so much stuff, mm. um, you know, so, so I, I miss that a lot. Um, but yeah. I mean, some of the clubs have turned into 
you know, like the Continental, which was like the heir apparent to CBGB, which closed, of course, good Lord, it's been just see, like, I don't know, like, to look it up on my calendar right now how long ago mm-hmm. cbgb's closed i mean 10 15 years ago i know it was in september i'm gonna scroll ahead to september and i've, I've got it marked in my calendar i have like the world trade center anniversary and i should have cbgb's did i take it off of here finally huh. oh there is cbgb r.i.p 1973 2006 mm-hmm. um, so, so cbgb closed september 2000 or october rather 2006 um, so the Continental was kind of like on the Bowery, and it was like they had the same bands that played at CBGBs, like the Ramones played there back in the day, Blondie, like all these bands. And the guy just decided, you know, in recent years to turn it into like an NYU student bar, like, you know, buy a beer and a shot for five bucks or something. Like that's the business model. So all the bands are gone, and now it's like just this corny mm. college bar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, things things have changed for sure um but it's not dead that's that's the good thing Um, you know it'll always reinvent itself i mean i really thought after 9-11 the city was going to take a long time to rebound and it it didn't i mean it it was it really kind of surprised me how resilient people were and how undaunted you know um you know still careful still mindful still caring and considerate and all that good stuff you know but it, it's like it's still the spirit of like like we're not going to let this destroy us and um yeah so we just soldier on but you know things change that's that's the only certainty is that you know everything changes eventually mm. um and some new place will come up to replace the old places hopefully mm. um but yeah you know. heck yeah well what do you think brandon mm-hmm well, are you guys are you guys asleep yet? <laughs> no, no, no. It is almost my bedtime though. It, That's we've cool. been. I said it's about two hours in. We've been some of the that episodes crazy. We, yeah, yeah. It, it just a lot of these episodes just we go on for almost two hours. But the latest single you released was called "Wide Receiver." Yeah, and that that was the one I was going to include. So if you want to, talk great. about that. Yeah, wide receiver. Actually, it's just about. Um, really i didn't have to go far for inspiration for this i mean i'll say that like a lot of my stuff has been fairly autobiographical and like the way i might my whole precious songwriting is right about what you know so a lot of things are true stories including you know some of these band stories in some songs um i even mentioned my musical partner in the song todd and it's really just about us recording more more what we do after we record so like after a long session in the studio, like we just kick back and have like a tequila drink, um, which mm-hmm. I was enjoying during through you know, like through this whole chat, like a couple shots of tequila with a couple squeezes of lime and some ice, <laughs> and that'll do me. You know, maybe some cannabis because cannabis is actually legal here, and it's been legal in Massachusetts for a long time, and it's good quality, and you don't have to worry about it. Just rub it in while we're in the Stone I, Age here. I didn't do it like between the time I was a teenager and the time I'm, you know, like middle-aged because like, I just couldn't trust it, you know, right. You buy it off the street. Like you don't know what you're getting, but um, you buy it and it's got like nutritional labeling on it for God's sake. And it tells you exactly the potency and what it is. And, you know, so there's a trust factor that goes with it. And, um, you know, and and it's like, just like drinking, you, you know, like you, 
you know what your limits are or what your desired mm-hmm. effect is. And so you just enjoy the evening, kick back, relax. And Todd, my my partner on these records, um, the studio owner, like he's a collector of like high-end um, vintage stereo gears, so like these old Swedish turntables and cool like um, speakers, which look like giant, beautiful pieces of furniture and sound amazing. And so he'll put on records, like anything from classical to jazz to, you know, even rock, even though we're kind of like rocked out by the end of our session sometimes. Um, but but just like any genre is fair game, like stuff I've never heard, stuff that's mind blowing and just like listen to it on a really good system um, just to kind of come down and give your ears a break from what we've been doing all day, um, which is like a real pleasure. So, I mean, that, that's what the song Wide Receiver is about. So it's not, it's not about an American football player um you know the receiver is a piece of stereo gear in this case so um that's where the name comes from and that's what the song is about nice awesome well i want to say thanks because this has been a very uh enjoyable conversation not that the other ones haven't been but this one's i like here's a competition yeah (laughs) i your stories about Europe and everything else, like it definitely piqued my interest because it's something that I've always wanted to do. So I'm a little Same. jealous, but <laughs> don't be, no, just, just do it. Like make it, make it a goal and do it. I highly recommend it. And it's, it's not as difficult as you might think. I mean, it's, it's within reach for certain. No. And there, there are metal bands that play there too. I mean, like, obviously like, you know, I'm doing different genre of music than you guys. Right. Um, but it's like there's there are listeners for every genre like say in a place like new york city and and in europe too like like audiences are very adventurous and, and no, they, they love their no they love their metal there for sure yeah i mean festivals Nor- and yeah you know. the norwegian stuff kind of scares me i have to admit oh, like that that's like no. <laughs> but you guys might not be put off by that i mean you guys <laughs> might go there and destroy them but um <laughs> but yeah i mean like i i recommend it like you know like i say make it a goal and make it a reality. I mean, because it, it, it's it's not an unreachable place. I mean, it's just a small world, really. And um, Europe is definitely navigable. I wouldn't recommend recommend doing it in an ice cream truck. But um, it, it, it's also it's a, it's a very friendly place. It's very open. I mean, and in fact, too, like going country to country, I, I was surprised the first time I went there because you go border to border without knowing you're in a different country anymore like when you see old movies it's like ah oh, show us your papers and you know even in some states like california oregon they're very protective of their agriculture you can't bring in any like even fruit like you can't be eating an apple in your car when you enter the state of california so you have to pitch it before because you know this invasive species might sprout in the state and you know take over you know and i get that but my point is like some states are more difficult to enter than countries in Europe. Once you're in, once you're in Europe, you know, pass, pass through that part of customs. I mean, like I, I have like once from a two month tour over the course of like a dozen countries, I have two stamps on my passport. One is my entry into Europe. One is my exit. And then all the other countries, nobody asked me for my passport once. Like we just moved freely from one country to another. So huh. Um, it's, it's, it's really easy and open the movies lie yeah right I mean well I mean there was a time when it was different you know but like with the European Union now you know it's basically like going country to country is going state to state yeah you know, like with, with the EU yeah. situation so it, it's cool it's, it, it's if you can you know with your respective bands um, or situations because I know one of you guys like you're, you're thinking about doing like like 
uh, you've got like a sound rig and doing like production stuff, right? No, I just I bought a PA system for band purposes. I just at the moment, oh, okay. really but, I don't really have a project at the moment. But you've got it, so you can do something with it. Just hit that one button that makes the thing do the thing. But anyway, <laughs> uh-huh. what I'm saying is like with the respective bands. I mean, make relationships. You know, make friends with the people you're playing with you know, on whatever bill you're on, like, especially people who are out of town and, you know, I mean, like make a, you know, just make that promise. Like, Hey, we'll be there someday. And like, you know, hopefully get to like, yeah, look us up, let us know. And I guarantee you, like, it'll, you can make something happen. So awesome. Yep. Always, so I made a lot of friends. Uh-huh. You know, it's always something to strive for. Yeah. Well, again, Chris, definitely appreciate coming out and talking with us. I've enjoyed it, Ed. Yeah, Brandon, Ed, thank you so much for yeah, having me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah, best right, of luck. Thank, you, thank you for having us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Oops. I feel like I feel like you're right here, yeah. but um, yes, but yeah, I mean, good luck with the podcast. I mean, like I, I like the stories that I've heard so far, um, and yeah, I mean, I hope like hopefully this will keep going. I mean, it's a really cool idea, and that's that's what really you know piqued my interest as far as like being a guest on the show because i thought like yeah that's like a really cool idea we... and just the fact that it doesn't all have to be doom and gloom too right? no yeah i think we've got over a dozen or so episodes already recorded so and we're only releasing once a week so we've already got a backlog build up but we might end up pushing it to two episodes a week just because of how many interviews we've got scheduled already yeah sign of success so Hopefully it's being well received out there. Like I said, the first few, I think four episodes are out right now. So anyone out there checking it out, it's definitely appreciated. And yeah, before we sign off, I'll do the old uh, routine here that if you want to be a guest, send me an email. It's Brandon at darksideofthescene.com and we'll get you scheduled for a future episode. But again, Chris, thanks for talking with us. And yeah. Definitely appreciate it. And the song is called Wide Receiver. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you. All right. right. See y'all.